Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And Mare. Yes. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Welcome back. Thank you. You missed last week's show. I, did I? You, yeah. you recorded without me? I did record a show entirely without you. It's a secret show. You I could have let me know. I didn't want to. You I know what? made some time. It's, no, yeah, I, don't, I doubt it. Seems kind of passive aggressive. Let's not call it passive aggressive. Let's just call it aggressive. Oh, Okay. <laughs> so that's episode 57 so this week we're doing episode 58 of uh sneaky Dragon wait the Party. one that i missed was yeah, 57 one you missed was 57 oh okay okay so this is gonna be episode 58 hmm. of the fabulous podcast mm-hmm. everyone's favorite music podcast yeah which is called sneaky dragon listening party there you go and and this week we started a new mixtape uh not this week i guess it is this week i was gonna say this bye week makes more sense, really. And we did our Christmas episode last... We did. Last time, Mary. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad to say, for this episode, we're not going to be able to bring back the Christmas meter, which is oh, terribly... It's a real real shame. Yeah. No, it's, I'm really sad that we can't bring that back. I think that uh, through universal acclamation, it's probably one of the greatest things we've ever done in the show. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And, and so... Resounding success. Resounding success. In fact, I'm going to actually invent for... If we're still doing the show next year, next Christmas, this this year, this Christmas, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to actually build a little box with the with the meter and stuff like an actual meter, so that we'll have like a, a scientific base basis for our show. Finally, we're finally going to bring science to music. I think the world's been waiting for that. So we're starting some new mixtapes. Uh, the first one is going to well, they're for the same person for uh, Nick Owen, who I believe was a completely Beatles fan and. We did we did advertise on the Completely Beatles page on Facebook that if you sent us some CDRs, then I would make you a, um, a free CD. And so he took advantage of that, sent me two CDRs, and I made him two mixtapes. So this is the first. And he was very disappointed that they weren't all Beatles songs. <laughs> they weren't all Beatles songs. I don't know. That's a good point, actually. I don't think people expected to get Beatles songs back since they already know who the Beatles are. It right. pretty weird for me just to send them back. These are my favorite Beatles songs. But, um, yeah, they, I don't know if people were like... Expecting like to be like an all sixties mix, like if they're Beatles fans and they're like, oh, I'll get send this to Dave and he'll send me like all other songs that are like the Beatles, right? And instead they got like this weird eclectic mix of of various decades of music, mm. uh, minus the well, Beatles. I'd say minus the eighties for the most part, but that's not true. We've had true. a couple eighty songs. That's not true in this case. Yeah, but I would say that's my least represented de- uh, decade in this. Uh, just thinking about it off the top of my head, mm-hmm. I could be wrong though because I have you know I do have. Favorite bands from that time period. Yeah, XTC. Mm-hmm. Some stuff from the 80s. Mm-hmm. XTC would be one. Uh, I mean, there's a lots, lots from that time period. But some I have chosen not to put on, just because I feel like everyone knows them. Although that's kind of weird, because probably not. Probably yeah, not. I think that you have kind of a broken idea of what people know. <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> I think you're probably right. But then if people in England have a different different ex- musical experience than we do. Mm-hmm. So bands that are really obscure here in Canada. Yeah. You know, are really well known there, right? Like if you talked about Robbie Williams to someone here in North America, they'd be like, "Who he?" Mm-hmm. Whereas in whereas in England, he's a somebody. I don't know how big a somebody he is, but he's right. He's, he's big, known. Yeah, he's big enough that he's in a he's mentioned in Ted Lasso as someone who's going to be 
singing at at some sort of like charity event. Right. And that's exciting for them. You know? Yeah. Rather than, oh, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel now. We're getting. <laughs> so, you know, like things like that, like where there's, you know, acts, there's no, there's that, that translation. I mean, I'm not as up on British pop acts as I was when I was younger and I read Q magazine or when I read NME. Mm-hmm. And part of the coverage of that was sort of the mainstream stuff. So you kind of knew about it. So I knew about bands like Wet, Wet, Wet and mm-hmm. and uh, Take That, which is where Robbie Williams came from. Right. But now I couldn't tell you like any. I mean, I guess I, could, I, guess I know like who Ed, Ed Sheeran. Yeah. I think I, I know who he is. But that's another example. Louis like, Capaldi. Sure. Those are examples of guys who are really popular in England that mm-hmm. have no traction here at all. Yeah. Like people probably seen the movie yesterday. Um, the film about uh, the Beatles world, the mm-hmm. nightmare world, uh, we're probably, you know, we're watching and probably going like, who's that Ed Sheeran guy? Yeah. You know, there's people in England are like, they got Ed Sheeran. That's really, wow. They're like, who's that them? guy who's ruining Hey Jude? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what a jerk. Hey dude. <laughs> so, so I think, yeah, I think it is, it's possible to be an Anglophile and have a very, uh, a, very askewed ver- view, not only of England, but also of, of what's popular anywhere. Yeah, that's fair. But, Mary. Yes. I guess we should start our, um, I guess we should start what we're going to do. We'll, we'll start with some the, music. The podcast? I thought we already started. <laughs> we already started. Oh, well, well, I, yeah. What was all this? That made me look at my, my recorder just to make sure it was well, on. <laughs> yeah, I hope. I hope it is. <laughs> I hate to do this introduction again. This is the fifth time we've done it. <laughs> I keep forgetting to return on the tape machine that would be embarrassing five times yeah i would have i would have quit the podcast after the third <laughs> the, the fourth time wouldn't be embarrassing the fifth time that no. would be embarrassing no fifth time wouldn't happen i'd be gone <laughs> you, you would not i would be inside watching jeopardy on the couch <laughs> you would under not. the blankets you would stay it's a cold day it's a cold day it is do you want to turn on the heater yeah just not, i thought it was on already it's warm in here it's warmer in here than it is in the house yeah the house is, is uh, the pro- <laughs> thermostat is programmed for no one being there. Well, yeah, yeah, because it's a weekend, so of course no one's home. <laughs> I know, it's kind of a weird. And also Eve's home most days anyway. Oh, well. Yeah. Put in a blanket, Eve. She usually turns the, the heater on, or the thermostat on. How dare she? <laughs> no, wonder my, no wonder our gas bill's been higher. Mm-hmm. I have to put a lock on that thing. Yeah, right? Well, yeah, also it is winter right now. Mm-hmm. Makes a bit of a difference. Yeah. No, no. I, I know that. I just mean higher than, well, because we pay like, we pay, it is sort of equalization. So we pay, we, it's amortized across the year. So that the charge, I'm paying the same amount in the summer as I am in the winter. Right. Even in the summer, I turn off, I turn off the furnace. I still, I just keep paying for the, but it keeps the price down over the, over the year. Oh, okay. Like how, um, like how mom as a teacher yeah. gets her paycheck. Rather than getting like a bigger paycheck for ten months, yeah, and then no pay- paycheck over the summer, yeah, she gets like a slightly reduced paycheck for ten months, and then gets a paycheck, the same paycheck over the summer that yeah. she gets the rest of the year. Yeah, okay, kind of like that. Yeah, kinda so like it's just that. sort of amortized across. The, right. At least that's how I would use that word. I might be wrong. Huh. There may be some financial person going, "How could you misuse a word in such a way?" What kind of financial person listens to this podcast? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. People can like be financial people and like music yeah that's true you know most of them are want to be involved in management but still they can still like right music Music management yeah (laughs) that's where the money is Mm -hmm. yeah well i've been watching a lot of jeopardy okay on netflix yes because there's two seasons of jeopardy on netflix just two seasons yep huh okay um and i don't know why just two it's weird 
It is weird. But yeah, and one of the contestants who's like a champion and he's been back a lot, he's... I didn't like him very much when I first saw him. I was like, I don't like this guy. He's got like a bad attitude. <laughs> Not like a bad attitude, but he just seems kind of smarmy. Okay. And then it turned out he's like a music executive. Oh. And I was like, mm, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, just read lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, that's those are the people who killed music. Yeah, like a lawyer, but one who, yeah, just wants to like make a lot a lot a lot a lot of money yeah it's like no interest in helping anyone at no, all. no 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 that's not what that's not how they're geared mm-hmm. that's not how they're mentally geared yeah i was watching a documentary about clive davis who was a columbia executive okay and then he formed a, his own record label called arista records mm-hmm. and so you're watching it and they're like you know trumpeting what a great music guy he was and you know an artist an, art, an artist you know uh executive and this and that and then but like the people that he's He's like promoting or like very Manilow and stuff like that. And you're just like, like, okay, but who cares? Like, he's just, <laughs> he's not really like promoting music. He's just promoting yeah. product. Like, yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't care about the, the sound. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, he didn't get into this because he was like super passionate about music. Yeah. He's super passionate about making money. Yeah, and you're watching it and you're like, Barry Manilow is like, even saying the thing, he's like, yeah, I really wanted to like, you know, record, write and record my own songs. But then they just kept giving me other single, other people's singles to sing, to have a hit single. You know, and they're like, well, you really want to have a hit single to keep your career going. And you're like, well, I guess that's true. But also, I'd like to sing my own songs. Yeah. No. Here, we'll give you these songs <laughs> to sing. Yeah. You think that, yeah, you think you can do one, right? If you keep getting hits, you think they can spare you one. Nope. Got to keep the ball rolling. Keep the money flowing into the coffers of Arista Records. That, you know, I, I mean, I mean, Arista wasn't like a huge record label. It, it was, you know independent in a way and that it was sort of you know it wasn't like a the, one of the big ones like columbia or capital but still it's in it you know like even what like they signed iggy pop for a while but it wasn't uh, clive davis who signed iggy pop in fact he hated iggy pop and when he found out that the he was signed he was really upset that this guy had signed iggy pop to, mm. the, to the label you know it just yeah because it's not about the artist it's about making money 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 i think whitney houston was another one of his discoveries oh really yeah hmm. I don't know. I kind of started losing interest in that part of the show. I was just like, ugh, this is not interesting at all. <laughs> yeah, it's hard when a, when something is trying to tell you, like, this person is really great. Yeah, yeah. And you just don't buy it. <laughs> You're like, why am I going to keep watching this? That was my problem with Breaking Bad. Okay. Because people were like, oh, oh yeah. Walt's so great. Oh, no, he's that's, such a hero. That's the wrong You watch way to the watch show it, yeah. and you're like, he's a big jerk. Like, he's the worst. <laughs> He's the worst person. Like, he's not a good person. He's a bad person. Yeah. Like, why am I... I, I don't want to root for him. You're not supposed to root for him. But a lot of people read the show that way. I know. It's the wrong way. It made me really tense for a while. Then I realized, oh, he's the bad guy. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Now that I wa- watch it that yeah, way. Yeah, I just couldn't... Fine. I couldn't get into it. I never... Yeah. I think yeah. the actual protagonist of the show is Jesse. Yeah. Like, he's the actual person who gro- grows as a, as a right. person, right? Yes. Yeah. He like, has, like, an actual, like, re- redemption arc. He has a redemption arc. Whereas, whereas Walt is this kind of like one note all the way through. Yeah, it, and, he's and like he's just a vindictive, narcissistic, yeah, jerk. control freak. Yeah, I know he does. You know he's obviously it's. I mean he has like fatherly feelings for Jesse. Yeah, but at the same time he constantly puts him in, at risk. Yeah, of, of and the same with his family, stuff. right? Yeah. Where it's like he's claiming to do this all this stuff for his family. Yeah, but like he doesn't actually love his family. He just wants to control them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right. Like he never wants them to make their own decisions. He doesn't want Skylar to have like to work. Yeah. or to have a job, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want um, his son Walt Junior to have his own name or his own identity. Yeah, right. Yeah. He just wants them to be like property for him they he just wants them to be like an adornment yeah so he can say like look at this great family i have mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah. No, he's a ter- terrible person. Yeah, he's really bad. Yeah, even I think when... Um, spoilers, everyone. When his brother-in-law gets killed mm-hmm. in... I think it's Ozymandias. I think it's the name of that, that episode. It's like that's really late in the show, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like second mm-hmm. last episode or something. I don't think it's that late, but it is pretty no? late in okay. that. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I ever finished the show, to be honest. Oh, okay. <laughs> or if I did, I was, like, not really paying attention, you know? <laughs> you given up on it? Yeah. I found it pretty compelling. And I really liked Hank. That was his brother-in-law. Yeah. You know, I thought Hank had a had a pretty great storyline because of the betrayal and everything that made it really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that episode was directed by Ryan Johnson. Didn't realize that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He directed a couple episodes mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know who, uh, oh, no, never mind. There was a, a woman named Michelle something. I wish I could remember her last name because her job in that show was to direct all the action episodes. Oh, okay. Like if, if your name was like at the beginning of the episode, you're like, oh, there's going to be like an action set piece in this one. <laughs> so cool. they had that fantastic one where those two, those two Mexican assassins like attacked Hank in the, oh, in the yeah. parking lot. Yeah. She, she directed that episode. Right. And the one where. Well, yeah, I mean, so much of like fight scenes come from directing yeah yeah like i remember listening to um a commentary track for angel Mm -hmm. and joss whedon and it was like another writer i can't remember who exactly was on the episode Mm -hmm. we're on the commentary with him but they were talking about how boring it is to write fight scenes yeah yeah. because it's like angel punches the bad guy (laughs) the bad guy punches angel yeah yeah angel fall down and it's like yeah like the whole everything like you don't you can't really write a fight scene yeah yeah because like especially if you're not a fight choreographer right like Mm -hmm. that's the job for like the people on set to do to like figure out what works best yeah, like you yeah. you want like unless there's like a specific point that needs to be get brought yeah. up in the fighting or you need you're trying to like demonstrate something or but like you you know how it starts you know how it ends and mm-hmm. then in between there it's usually just pretty free especially in like buffy and angel where there's like a lot of fight scenes every episode yeah, i think it probably makes most sense if you're writing a fight scene for, in that situation is just to write like the emotional tenor that it should have mm, yeah not not the not the actual yeah, physical Yeah, you're not doing like a blow by blow, yeah. right? Yeah. Just kind of describe like what you want is like a feeling of that fight. Yeah. Is it like a, you know, does it reflect the anger of a character yeah, or like another? Yeah, like Buffy is it... Buffy is struggling in this fight yeah. or um, like Buffy's like taking out her anger from this personal <laughs> situation in this fight. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. like Faith is like relishing this fight <laughs> in like a... Uh, as like a sexual way you know like working that like those character yeah. moments in so that you can like learn who the person is or learn like what they're going through in that moment yeah, yeah. through the fight scene not like she hit the person <laughs> you know yeah she kick yeah it's true i mean all yeah. that stuff will be figured out on the day yeah. by the by the fight choreographer and yeah. the stunt people and whatnot yeah hmm. i can't remember how we got onto this but we did we did, Mary. I don't know. Oh, because we were talking about that music documentary and talking about how it's hard to watch something <laughs> when right. someone, when you can't right. root for the person who you feel like they're trying to get you to root for. I don't even know how we got onto the topic of the uh, of the the documentary, but anyway, that's fine. That's fine. Mary. Oh, because I was talking about how how I've been watching Jeopardy, and there's a music executive oh, on the there. Executive, yeah, 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 yeah. Music executives. Yeah, I'm sure there's been some good ones. Probably, but I I don't know. You know who's one of the good ones? Mm. David Geffen. As a, as a evidenced by the many good songs that have been written about him. <laughs> uh, David Geffen, a monster. What a monster. Yeah. Yeah, he probably doesn't think of himself as a monster. He probably thinks of himself as like a good guy. Yeah. And one of the good guys in music. Yeah. That's the horrible part of it. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm one of the good guys. You know, I've helped a lot of people. I helped Joni. Mm-hmm. Did a lot for um, did a lot for Laura. Yeah. And I really helped Judy, Judy still out, you know. Yeah. She would have been nothing without me. She would have been nothing. You know, the Eagles. Where would the Eagles be without me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exact same I think, place. I think even worse than people who think that they're, who are bad people who think that they're 
a good person is people who are bad people but don't even care if they're a good person or a bad person. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I feel like they're like you can you can empathize with someone who's who thinks that they're doing the right thing, but someone who doesn't even think they're doing the right thing, they're just doing whatever they want. Yeah. Like that's harder to to empathize with. Yeah, I was look not to get too political, but I was looking at a picture from the from the insurrection at at the Sikh or the US Capitol. Hmm. And there was a guy and he was wearing like a Trump a Trump hoodie, but it was the Trump. It was written as the Trumps, as if it was the Sopranos. Oh, okay. And I was like, so you admire this family because they're like gangsters? Is yeah. that what this means? I don't yeah. understand. What What are you? Uh, is, that, is that appealing to you about them? Like, all oh, these guys are. They'll kill. They'll kill anyone. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's an admirable quality. <laughs> you're, you're... I feel like you're approaching the point here. <laughs> you're starting to get it, but you maybe have taken the wrong point from it. It seems like, yeah, getting back to Breaking Bad, that seems like the kind of person who's like, oh, Skylar's the worst. She's such a B word. I hate Skylar so much. She ruins that show. She's the worst character. Walt's a really good guy and wasn't for, wasn't for Skylar. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, Skylar is frustrating, and that that's part of the problem of the show is that you do... You do and you shouldn't, but you do. Uh, you can't help it as a viewer to to um, sympathize with the person telling the story. Mm, yeah. And that he's basically the storyteller, even though Jesse, I think, is the real protagonist. Right. Well, yeah, because the story starts with him, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's from mm-hmm. his point of view. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like Clockwork Orange. Like you can't help you sympathize with Alex, even though you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, he's a rapist. He's a murderer. Mm-hmm. He's you know, a bad person. He's a bad person. Yeah. And. Yeah. Same with Walt, right? But you, because he's telling you the story, and he tells it to you in this appealing way with his with his, his funny little slang yeah. and all that you just find yourself yeah or walt with his whole like poor me i have cancer i'm trying to do this for my family <laughs> yeah, yeah and then as the show goes on you're like you don't you're not trying to do this for your family <laughs> like his whole like idea of being like i'm just trying to make sure my family has money yeah after i die yeah that's his control by the way too yeah yeah it's a control freak because mm-hmm. kyler couldn't possibly be able to support yeah. this family that idiot. <laughs> yeah, that woman who didn't exist before I walked into her life. <laughs> never had a job or hopes or goals of her own. Did she? I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think that there was like an entire plot about that, was there? But actually, she used to have a job, be good at it, and could go back to that job and keep working at it if she was allowed to, but yeah, yeah. Walt won't let her do that. Too jealous. Yeah. <sighs> Breaking Bad. Yeah. So I guess you didn't watch the El Camino one either. The movie? Yeah. No, I didn't. No, I never really watched. I didn't didn't watch. And then I liked Saul Goodman's character. Um, is that his name? Yep. But I never. I I watched some of. I've never. Better Call Saul, but yeah. I couldn't really get into it either. Yeah, I know? watched it. Watched it for a while, and then I kind of faded out. Yeah. That's that's my that's my issue though. I just have trouble with TV shows. I'm not yeah. a real TV show guy. No, that's fair. Okay. I like TV shows. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I say rewatching Veronica Mars for the eighth time. Yes. Yeah. It isn't that. Well, that's completely outside of my understanding of how how entertainment should work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you watched it more than once? I just really like it. I do. It's Veronica Mars. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> There's just something comforting about knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah? Yeah. Huh. So you don't, you don't want like a surprise. You just mm-hmm. want... No, not always. Sometimes. Yeah. But not always. Often I just want to like know what's going to happen. And we will just sort of turn my brain off. Huh. Cool. All right. Yep. Mary. Yes. Let's do some music. Okay. We're four hours into the show now. <laughs> I think it's time we played a song. Okay. I guess so. That's what people are here for. Are they, is it? They don't want to listen to us two idiots talking. Okay. That's fair. They want to hear music, 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 and us two idiots talking. You're not an idiot, by the way. Really great. 
Were you singing that to the tune of the dreidel song? No, it's a song that put another nickel in, in the Nickelodeon. All I ever want to hear is music, music, music. Okay, okay. So I always quote it. That's, yeah, all right. (laughs) Okay, what's our first song, Dad? I think that was Teresa Brewer. Teresa Brewer? Teresa Brewer. Teresa Brewer? Hard name to say. (laughs) Teresa Brewer. Teresa Brewer. 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 So the okay. first song yep. is, gee, what is the first song? It's Game Theory, I think. Where's your notes? Uh, I put them down. Somewhere? Yeah, I don't know where I put them. We'll just start okay. off by saying that it's, it's Game Theory. <laughs> okay. The song is 20. I'll find them when we're listening to the song. This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it's Game Theory. Yep. The song is 24. Mm-hmm. The album is, uh, I don't know what the album's called. Also 24. Night, uh, Real Nighttime. Okay. And it came out in 1985. All right, let's see. Let's listen to the song, and then we'll come back and see how much of that was right. <laughs> Here we go, everyone. dad and we're back so hello, hello hello what was that song called so it was actually it was actually uh i was totally mixed up mary okay it was game theory okay the song was 24 okay am i close close so far yeah yeah you're you're 10 for 10 the album was real nighttime okay that was pretty close and the uh 
year was 1985. Oh, yeah. That's good. Good job, Dad. Thanks. Sometimes you get it wrong <laughs> when it's right in front of you. And, like, a, you know, you, you, got it, you got it pretty right yeah, this time. I think so. I got it absolutely right. I think it said real nighttime. Did you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Pretty sure I did. Pretty sure I did. So, Mare. Yes. What did you think of this song? This song, I thought it was cute. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. What do you think about the, the the subject of the song? I was not paying attention to the lyrics. Oh, okay. Okay. Because you're now 25. Oh, yes. This song is... Um, I, I first heard this song when I was may, still in my teens, I think. Yeah. What's the song by... Sorry. Who's the song by again? Game Theory. Okay. And so I liked it a lot. Especially as a kid, I was... Maybe I still think about it a lot, but as a kid, I was obsessed with with growing up. And the idea of like having to be an adult, I right. found that I found that very um, a very I had very complicated feelings about it because you wanted to be an adult, but you also didn't want to be an adult. Yeah, I mean, I wanted the perks of being an adult, yes. but I didn't want the responsibilities of like being having an adult. a job and having to pay bills and stuff. Yeah, because that's those are the perks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's <laughs> the part perks. everyone likes. That's the part everyone's <laughs> looking forward to. Yeah, no, I really, I really like being like young and yeah. being in school and yep. just having a social life and not mm-hmm. having any real responsibilities i mean i did work but i know i worked a paper route right through my teens so yeah it was an hour a day that was my that was my work day i mm-hmm. worked six days a week and but just for an hour or so maybe a little bit more with travel time but it was not you know it wasn't it wasn't terrible i could finish my my i worked a paper like it was delivered in the morning on saturdays i would deliver it in the morning then the rest of the day was mine you know right and I didn't, I don't know, I just felt the whole thing kind of scary and complicated and leaving what felt like a very regimented, you know, you knew what to expect kind of a life going to school every day, into a, into school, yeah, into college. Yeah, totally. There, there is a lot of, um, it's nice to exactly know what is expected of you every mm-hmm. day and not have to actually make any decisions yeah, for yeah, yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And so this is a song, about, you know, where it's a lot about the idea of, I think this album is more about leaving college. You know, 24 years old is about the age you would be leaving college, going out into the workforce and starting your, your real life. So yeah. even more further removed from from some level of regimentation and yeah. and, and adult guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, now you're going to head out. And in those days, it was much more likely that you, you know, when you left college. Well, one thing when you in the United States in those days, it's still much it's much more of a tradition there than here is that you go to school. Like you yes, leave, you your, leave home your home, yeah, and you go, go and live in a dorm, and yeah, go yeah. through the whole like living somewhere else, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, definitely feels like less of a thing here. Like most of my, all, most, I think pretty much, I think all of my friends from high school who went to university went to one within driving distance of their home and yeah. continued to live at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely in Canada to to do it that way. It's definitely a sign of of your uh, higher social status than, oh, than most of the people. Oh, living on campus? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. or at least parents who have saved up more yeah. than more than mine did and 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 then, you know, and kids who go like across the country to go to school in other places as well. That's just you know, a sign of affluence rather mm-hmm. than sort of middle class upbringing I grew up in. Yeah. And that's not to say that schools were expensive. I, I could work a part-time job in those days and pay for my pay for my my, my university mm-hmm. courses. But um, yeah, it's just a it's a different world. Oh yeah, yeah. But I couldn't have afforded to work part-time, go to school, and live outside of my my parents' house. Yes. So no, I wasn't able to do that until I had been working at camp for the summer. Yeah. For a couple summers, and that was, you know, I'd saved up a lot of money working there because yeah. when you're there you're not spending any money because you're living there. Yeah. And I didn't really, at that point in my life, I didn't have like a lot of friends outside of work. Yeah. And 
I had met Duncan yet. Um, so yeah, so all my money was just like sitting there, you know, <laughs> not doing anything. Yeah. And so I was able to afford live. And then I also moved in to a friend's parents' basement. Yeah. And paid like a very small amount of money for rent. Mm. Yeah. That makes a diff. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference. So, um, and then when, also when but, I was living there, I didn't have to have a car. Yeah. So I yeah. had my car parked at your place at, here at, in yeah. Alder Grove. Yeah. And didn't have to pay insurance or gas, and I would just take transit everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was just talk a little bit about game theory. Uh, game theory was uh, it was basically the project of this guy named Scott Miller. He was one of those. He was a music a music nut as a kid. He wrote a really good book, and I wish I could remember the name of it. But basically, it was a collection of these lists that he made from his from his youth on of his top 10 favorite songs of each year. And so he made these lists cool. each year. And basically he made the lists where he would make them so they would fit onto a cassette. So every year he would choose enough songs. So maybe it was more than 10 songs, his top songs anyway, that would feel like a sort of a mixtape of songs. And he would also write down why he, what he liked about them. And so he published that as a book and it's quite an interesting read. He was a pretty, quite a smart guy. So he's kind of like the nexus of, of, of game theory and so he, you know, he is like the one constant throughout the years of the band. Uh, people came and went, and he was the one guy who stayed there. And the band went from 1982 to when it was finally he finally folded it up, folded the tent up in 1990. And you know, and he didn't treat the band as as just his project though. Like the reason he folded it up in 1990 wasn't that he was tired of the band or that he was, you know, sick of being in game theory. He just felt like. The members who had joined the band by, at that point, had, the band had changed to such a, a degree oh, okay. that it was no longer game theory anymore. Right. Like the sound had changed, and so he changed the name of the band to, to the Loud Family, mm-hmm. and that became the his working band. I think through the '90s, and then I think I think they continued on into the '90s, but I'm not I'm not exactly certain. This isn't a Loud Family up, uh, overview, so I didn't want to yeah. get too carried no, away. No, I don't care about them. I just <laughs> care about game theory. So game theory. Uh, were associated with LA's Paisley Underground scene, so bands like the Three O'clock and and Rain Parade and stuff like that. And in fact, the Three O'clock's Michael Gutierrez joined Game Theory in the sort of late '80s, part uh, one, of, one of the later iterations of the group. And but unlike many of the groups that were connected to that scene, who kind of all kind of centered around, were kind of all centered in LA. Mm-hmm. The Bangles are part of that scene as well. Okay. So a lot of bands, um, a lot. Uh, Game Theory kind of stayed in, in, up in the northern part of California. They were kind of centered around Davis, California, which is mm-hmm. where UC Davis was, where, where Scott Miller went to school, and Sacramento was where he was from. Right. And then they later on they moved to San Francisco, and so they did kind of, you know, they just kind of kept to their own kind of sound, their own kind of mm-hmm. place. Uh, Miller actually, like I say, went to UC Davis. He actually gra- he started went there to study art, but he ended up graduating with a with a bachelor of science in electrical and computer engineering. Oh, okay. And so he through. The later part of his life, he worked as a computer engineer for different companies. And as he said, you know, you have to pay the bill. But it was part of his learning mathematics that gave the band its name. He named game theory after a mathematical theory of probability, which he stated meant that, well, he thought that at first he said, you know, it's kind of about, um, he described it because game game theory kind of started as a mathematical theory. And then it it kind of got uh, hijacked by the social sciences to describe a human interaction with each other and the idea oh, okay. is that you have in human life you 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 have adverse ad, adversaries mm-hmm. and the game theory rules on how you real how you react to the adversary okay how you get what you want whether right. you whether you fight them whether you 
compromise, whether you negotiate, mm-hmm. you know, so all those sort of things kind of part, are part of that theory. But then later on, he felt like it had been hijacked by social sciences and it really was just a mathematical right. set. But he said that you just have to have some sort of set of rules, but nobody knows what that set of rules should be. So that, and that's basically what he, what his, most of his songs are about that. So okay, uh, it kind of like became sort of a theme for his, his, um, and so when Real Nighttime was recorded, it was recorded in 1984. It was recorded with the original band. Mm-hmm. But, but between recording the album and going on tour, going on a national tour to support the album, the band broke up. Oh, okay. Not great. Isn't that great? Yeah. So one of the members of the group, she got pregnant. So she mm-hmm. had to leave. And then another guy had a religious conversion. And so mm-hmm. he left. And then I don't know why the, one other guy left. He just probably just went, are you guys are leaving? Oh, I guess I'll go. <laughs> If you, if you look at the cover, originally it was a band shot, like a band, but they couldn't use that. So it's just a picture of Scott Miller on the cover of the album. And mm. I always wondered why, because I thought, well, I thought this was a band. Why is it just him yeah. by himself? And I kind of assumed from that that it was a solo project. Right. But he never really thought of it that way. Just that he was the the, the constant, but he did, you know, he did co-write with his his, his bandmates and his, and some bandmates would have their own songs on, on as well. Like he didn't, it wasn't just, you know, for him to yeah. do everything. And... This uh, this song, I think people who listen to it will think will agree with me that it's it's a beautiful production. It's a mid Easter production. He was kind of the the in, indie wonderkind at this time. He worked with with REM. And what's interesting is REM. If you listen to REM albums, they're the first two particularly are famous for being like real mumble fests. Like it's so hard to to figure out what Michael Stipe is saying. And there's almost like the whole thing is recorded with a blanket over it. You know, like the whole the whole band, the sound of it. Whereas this is really crisp and clear. And it's kind of interesting that. It's you know so I always kind of wondered if if that is that the Mitch Easter sound is recorded in this kind of really low key almost almost mumble mumble way but no right. you know when he's given a band that really wanted to enunciate mm-hmm. he was fine with that and, oh, okay and you know and he's not he's not locked into like a particular sound Game Theory used synthesizers in their music and mm-hmm. you know he wasn't like I'm the king of jangle pop you can't use synthesizers in your music so no it's uh, it's a really good it's a really great production I think he was really good as a producer cool. I also was in a band called Let's Active that were quite good. Let's Active. But I thought just for the heck of it, I would play a song by the Loud family so people could hear the changeover from right. Game Theory into the into the okay. into the into the next group. Hmm. And maybe maybe think maybe see if it's a little different sounding. Than, yeah, than make sure theory. that you uh, turn down your headphones because <laughs> it's loud. <laughs> thanks for the thanks for the warning, Mary. <laughs> so this is the Loud family. This is from their 1996 album Interbabe Concern. The song is called Sodium Lorith Sulfate. It's a very stereo lab title. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> It's not so easy. There's a 
caring, caring. The Loud Family. The Loud Family. Pretty good song. Yeah, he, he Miller really had like an interesting sense of song craft. I think he, he liked to um, kind of mix it up a bit in his songs and and do a lot of kind of different time signatures and change it up. He was a big fan of he was a big fan of sixties pop, so he really brought um, that knowledge into his songwriting. I think one of those guys who was like really smart, like mm-hmm. really heady, but yep. uh, but really artistic as well. You know, right? And I think you know I think he uh, yeah very good. Unfortunately. An unhappy person. Hmm. It's uh, not uncommon with with artistic types, though, is it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you uh, ready for the next song, Mary? Yes. So, this is The Primitives. The Primitives. Yeah. Okay. The song is Run, Baby, Run Mm -hmm. from their first album, Lovely, that came out in 1988. So, let's give it a listen. Actually, that's two 80s songs in a row. After I said that uh, 80s, there we go, two 80s songs in a row, Mary. What do you think of that? Well, we'll see. Big hypocrite over here. <laughs> By the way, I put a I put a smiley face beside. Yep, that works. Okay, cool. All right, so here we go, folks. This is the primitives.
And we're back. Mary? Yes? What did you think of the primitives? Well, well, I thought it was fun. I liked it. <laughs> Tried to throw you, throw you off there. Um, I liked the singing. Yeah. The singing was good. I thought it was pretty catchy. For sure. Yeah. I could see this being like a song you get stuck in your head forever. Bizarrely, to me, bizarrely, not a single. Huh. There were three singles taken off this album and this was not one of them. Yeah, that's weird. I know. Feels yeah, it feels like a single. It's my favorite song from the album. I, I like I like the album a lot actually. I think it's really good, but I I don't know why it wasn't a single. It's the song that really stuck out to me when I when I bought it. Oh, those many years ago. I don't even know why I bought it. I must have heard about it. I must have heard the song somewhere, but I don't know where I would have heard it because uh, it, it was, wasn't a single. No, no, not that song. But oh. I, I think I heard Crash, which was the single from this album, and that was a fairly popular song. But it wasn't popular here, obviously. Like no one here knew who the Primitives were. They were actually from Coventry, England. Oh, really? And they formed in 1984. Mm-hmm. I think the best story about the band is that the original singer left the group after a disagreement with the group's manager. Mm-hmm. When it returned to their former band that were called Nocturnal Babies, which I think is also a good name. And, Nocturnal Babies? Yeah. So the band's guitarist posted on a scrap of paper in the local library. Mm-hmm. He just put a put a uh, this three words, male singer wanted. Okay. And... Soon to be new singer, Tracy Tracy, mm-hmm. saw the ad and responded that afternoon. It was cool. Became, came on as a singer. Significantly, mm-hmm. not a male. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Female. Her na- real name is Tracy Louise Cattle. Hmm. But I guess you thought it'd be funnier if she was Tracy Tracy. Right. And it is a good name. Wait. Sorry, but her last name was Cattle, though. C-A-T-T-E-L-L. Cattle. It's a pretty funny name, though. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's why she went with Tracy Tracy. Yeah. That's, that was the... Time, that's a time to change your name when you start, you're start. starting a new band. Yes. That does seem like one of those names that people would get bullied for. Yeah. Cattle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Hey, Dad, can I tell you a joke? She's quite pretty, though, so she probably yeah. made, might have rose above it. Or maybe that's what made her more introverted and wanting to be a singer. Yep. Either way. Who knows? Um, tell, you can tell me a joke, dear. What do cows read? What do cows read? The Walt Whitman poem, Leaves of Grass. Uh, no, a, a catalog. <laughs> Why didn't I get that? I don't know. Should have, should it, was right, it was right there in front of you. Cattle. <laughs> should have known that. <laughs> Stupid me. Oh, wait. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, I made up a joke. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Sure. What did the astronaut wear to his wedding? You made up this joke? Yes. What did the astronaut wear to his wedding? He wore his... What did he wear? Space suit. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. Hope your residents like that one. I hope so too. It's coming up. (laughs) Yeah. I Googled it. Not a joke. I was like, what did the spacesuit wear on his wedding? And it was. What did the spaceman? Huh? What did the spaceman wear? Oh, yeah. Sorry. What did the spacesuit wear? What did did the astronaut wear on his wedding? Yeah. And it was all just like information about (laughs) spacesuits. And I was like, okay, it's not. Then I looked up joke. Nothing. Huh? Yeah. So. Good for you. It's unique. There you go. Nice yeah, job. Thank nice you. Job. Just one last little bit about the primitives before we mm-hmm. move on. Two two last little bits about okay. them actually. One is they're part they're part of an important an, a, like sort of a, an important movement in music mm-hmm. and an unimportant movement in music. Okay. So the first one is the important one. We'll go with that first, which is okay. that they were important part of the late eighties British music scene. So along with bands like the Jesus and Mary Chain mm-hmm. and My Bloody Valentine mm-hmm. would lead to the would kind of develop into the shoegaze scene of the, the 1990s and more importantly because the particularly the women-led groups of that 
scene like Lush or, or um, Slow Dive. So I think really think that they were had a, a big part to do with that. But they're also part, this is the more less important one, of the so-called blonde pop scene in England, along with groups like the Darling Buds. Mm-hmm. Who are okay? They're not as good as the Primitives, in my opinion. I do have I have the record as well. I bought it when I was a kid because you would read about them in NME, and they'd say these guys are really good, and you'd be like, oh, okay, I should get that record. Then you bought it, and you're like, oh, this is not really good. And they're like, oh, you should buy Fairground Attraction, Dave. They're great, and then you buy Fairground Attraction, and then it's not great. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, boy, quit it. Quit telling me this stuff, <laughs> NME. Next thing you'll be next thing you'll be telling me the house music is really great, and I should buy and I should be listening to house music, and then I'm gonna buy an expensive import collection of house music and discover. Mm-hmm. It's not great. You don't like house music, no, yeah? Because you have to be, you have to be out of your mind on, on ecstasy, dancing in a big giant warehouse in some yeah. in, 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 at an illegal rave somewhere in England. Well, see, that's then the, it's good. That's the thing. Music like that is not designed for you to listen to when you're sitting at home. That's how I listen to music. Well, yes, but that's not what it's designed. for. I know for. it's not designed for that. But yeah. But there was. But at that time, just I, like how if you were in that situation, yeah. and someone put on "Hey Jude," yeah. you'd be like, "This is not what we want here." <laughs> you get slow, slowly wave no. back and forth to it. No, holding your cell phone over your head. No, nah. that's not what they want. Nah. They're trying to dance. Yeah, no, it's true. But the problem was at that time in enemy is that the whole magazine was turned over to to this to the scene. Mm, and yeah. you couldn't get any accurate information about any other music because all everyone was like total like house music obsessed snobs. with house music yeah. yeah they're obsessed with with taking drugs and going out dancing and yeah. so and so they'd be like the new paul weller album boo blah, garbage you should be listening <laughs> to this charlie frankie knuckles from chicago this is much better and yeah and so you, you listen to them and then you go wow okay i don't get it okay guys uh, but yeah, so along with groups, so along with groups like Dar- Darling Buds of May and another group called Transvision Vamp. Mm-hmm. Um, and Darling Buds of May, they're not great. Transvision Vamp, awful. So I have, it's not really much of a scene to be part of, in my opinion. Yeah. The only interesting thing about Transvision Vamp is that the lead singer of the group, Wendy James, when she left the group, wrote a letter to Elvis Costello asking him if if he would help her make her next album. Okay. Like just out of the blue, just wrote it. She didn't know him. She just wrote him a letter, sent, mailed it to him. And so Costello, with some songs co-written with his then-wife Kate Kate or Riordan, 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 I think Riordan, Kate O'Riordan, who was the bass player in the in the in the Pogs. Did I say the Pogs? Yeah. <laughs> in the Pogs, the Pogs, the Pogs. <laughs> I was so shaken by trying to pronounce O'Riordan that Riordan. I. I'm pretty sure it's Riordan because I'm pretty sure that the guy who wrote. The Percy Jackson books is okay. Reardon has okay. the same last name. Okay. Yeah. You and you and O'Reardon. I don't think his name's you and O'Reardon. I don't. I don't never I actually never read the Percy Jackson books. Was it Colin? Colin Reardon. No, it was. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah. So, anyway, so this person was in the game Pogs. <laughs> the <laughs> the game Pogs. That's right. She was a little disc. I uh, know. So she wrote to. Uh, yeah. So she wrote to. Uh, and he actually like wrote a whole album for her. Like all the original Rick, Rick Reardon. Rick Reardon. Okay, she wrote. He wrote all these. Uh, he wrote like a whole album of songs for her. And the problem is, is that even if the songs were, were great, uh, she's just not a great singer. So it doesn't really doesn't really help. Doesn't that help the songs? Okay, let's move on, Mayor. Okay. Let's. What's wrong? What are you What are you doing? Nothing. Are you imitating someone? Maybe. Did my voice go a little high? A little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, now it's time to move on to the next <laughs> song, everybody. You just. Uh, this song is. Uh, what what's up what's up Mary? What's this song called? Uh this song is Fountains of Wayne. Uh the song is Radiation Vibe. Okay. From their album 
first album, self-titled Fountains of Wayne, mm-hmm. came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, same same year as the Loud Family song we listened to earlier, Mary. Oh, really? Oh, it's so hard to talk that way. Whew, don't enjoy it. <laughs> All right. Let's listen to that song right now. Are you alone now to lose the monkey? He gave you black eggs, and now you slouch. He didn't mean it. He's just a dummy. We're back. Mayor? Yes. 
Smiley face or frowny face? What do you think of Come on, Fountains Dad. of Wayne? It's Fountains of Wayne. Of course I love this song. <laughs> it's such a good song. <laughs> it's such a great song. Yes, it is. It is a great song. I'm going to put the smiley face there then. Yeah. So, Mary. Yes? You know this is from their first album. I do. Did you know it was recorded when the group was not yet a group? I did not know that. It was just a duo of Adam Schlesinger and Chris mm-hmm. Collingwood. I did not know that. So Jody Porter and Brian Wood were not a member yet of the group. Okay. And so they recorded it as a duo with another friend, a guy named Danny Weinkoff, as guest bassist. Weinkoff? Weinkoff, yeah. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What's your problem with Weinkoff? Nothing. Not a rock and roll name? No, it just, it sounds like a joke name that someone in Britain would write down. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, like in a novel from like Charles Dickens novel or something? No, like, it, you know in Hot Fuzz, yeah. when some guy calls in to respond that, or to say that the the swan's gone missing, yeah. and his name is Peter Ian Staker, and okay. the main character, Nicholas Angel, assumes that it's a joke because it's P.I. Staker, Piss yeah. Taker. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like one of those names. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It's not. Okay. It's a real person's name. Okay. Mary. And I'm sure he thanks you for making fun of it. I'm not me. I'm just, just saying. It sounds, you know. Anyway, continue. So, so what's interesting is so even though that Schlesinger would become the bassist in the group when they added Porter and Wood to the band, uh, he played drums for the basic tracks. Collingwood played electric guitar. Weinkoff played the bass. And then they would add overdubs to the songs. They recorded it in a week at the cost of $5,000. Wow. A little bit more f- to get it mixed. Yeah, they just went in, like, that was their whole plan, was to make it quickly and as cheap as possible, so that, you know, because it was, uh, they were self-financing it, basically. The other fascinating thing is it has a fantastic album photograph, like, an album cover, this photograph of this kid, kind of dresses like a superhero, like a Superman cape. Okay. On the cover. Well, it turns out that was actually a shot by a British photographer, and... They contacted the guy, said they wanted to license it for their album cover. He said, sure, that's great. They said, "Does anyone else has anyone else licensed it? He said, no. And then two weeks before their album came out, an album came out in England by a band called Flamingos that had the exact same cover. <laughs> this guy had licensed it to two different groups and lied that he hadn't. Ooh. So they had to change the cover for the European release, but they liked it so much they they left it on for the, for the, the domestic release. Oh, okay. So wait, what does the European one look like? I don't know. I've never seen that cover. Maybe maybe look it up if you want. I, I didn't actually think to look it up. That's a good that's a good point. That is a good point, Mary. But I thought that was a little bit of an interesting tidbit. So while you're looking at that up, Mare, unless you have something more to say about this album, do you have anything more you wanted to say? No. Okay. Oh, uh, no, just that I like it a lot. Okay. Okay. You heard this when you were very young. You would have been, you would have grown up with this from the age of two. Hmm. <laughs> so let's move on to our next song. This is songwriter Tandon Elmer. The song is called Find Yourself. The album's called Along Comes Tandon. It came out in 2013. It's a collection of demo tracks that he recorded for his publisher. And uh, this is one of the songs from it, which I, I thought I really liked a lot. So let's get a listen, everybody. Instead of me, find yourself a new love to replace the kind that I'll turn out to be. Watch out, you don't make the same mistakes. Trying to control the course love takes. Find yourself the words to say goodbye. It's over now, I can't you see? Yourself away to spend your time somewhere far 
somewhat amazed at what goes on out in the race. You will find yourself much better off to find yourself a hiding place where no one can undermine your dream. When the life you back and we we did look up that fountains of wayne cover and mary we decided that the american version is is the better one it's too bad that it's too bad that that duplicitous photographer screwed them over because it's a better cover yeah it is but it is i I like it i don't mind the alternate one to it too though i think it's kind of funny actually it's kind of a good joke because it it implies in the way it's set up that that the things mean like it has a picture of an organ yes keyboard like a like a hammond or farfusa organ or whatever and then it has a bass drum that has the word of on it yeah and then another photograph of a mug with an amp by an amplifier yeah and so somehow that implies that, that it those... should it should correlate to fountains of wayne somehow yeah, yeah. and you're like how <laughs> yeah i don't so think it does it's kind of a good little good little joke in that way all right well let's let's talk a bit about tan and elmer which we just listened to mary and what did you uh what did you think about that that song well i i didn't love the beginning of it okay but i thought it picked up all right what sorry what year is the song from uh came out about we probably recorded it in 66, okay. 65, 66. Yeah, I thought it was like very 60s sound. Sure. Um, I thought it was a pretty similar vibe to the free design. Okay, interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah, it's a real smarty pants song. Like, he's a real clever songwriter. Maybe too clever by half mm. for, for... Often happens. Yeah, to have a, like a super successful career. Although he did have some big hits. He wrote Along Comes Mary... Oh yes, for instance, it's that's a, a Tandon Elmer song, and he also wrote "Sail on Sailor" with Brian Wilson, which was on uh, the Beach Boys album "Holland." Uh, that was a that was a big hit. Although apparently he and Brian Wilson had a falling out because he had an affair with Marilyn Wilson, his, Brian Wilson's wife, mm. and also stole some recording equipment from Brian Wilson's studio. Whoops, so, not great. Bit of a character. Yeah. Yeah. In 1965, Elmer's publishing company, who were called Davon Music. Wanted him to put together a set of a set of demos, so then they could shop those around to various groups. Because you know he'd had a big hit with "Along Comes Mary." Yeah, time to cash in on this. Yes, but as it turns out, many of the songs are very kind of a little too heady, a little too cerebral in their lyrical content and stuff like that. I think for most bands to really kind of grasp. And I think with like unlike with "Along Comes Mary," where he had this really uh, great facilitator. A mediator between like the the song is composed and the song is recorded, uh, Kurt Betcher. You know, in fact, Betcher and Elmer had a falling out over "Along Comes Mary" because Betcher felt that he had his arrangement had changed the song enough that he should get a co-writing credit. Right. And of course, Elmer disagreed. And, well, yeah, of course. And so they had a falling out about that. And, and in fact, a different Tandon Elmer song, which was called "Musty Dusty." was recorded a couple times by Betcher, once with the ballroom, and then that ballroom version was re-kind of re-edited and re-parts were added to it for the Sagittarius album, Present okay. Tense. And Betcher did not put Elmer's name on the credits for that mm. and left it off as a kind of a as a kind of a tit-for-tat right. thing. But, yeah. And Elmer was an interesting guy. He was a gifted learner. He was a very smart child. He mm-hmm. learned, to, learned to read before... Like, you know, the age of three, three or, three or four, he started reading. Wow. And then at a very early age as well, I think around age five, he started playing the piano by ear and started to be able to play like classical pieces by ear. <laughs> and his mom said he had a terrible time at school, though, because 
he found school so boring. Right. And he, he got in trouble all the time for acting out. Yeah, because he was bored. But he was bored because he was a gifted learner and there was yeah. just absolutely no... Yeah, there's no infrastructure there's for no, him. Yeah, there's nothing for it. It was just like, well, the same for me when I went to school, mm-hmm. right? Like, I was bored out of my tree. Yeah. I used to put a book in my desk and then I could pull it out and lay it on my lap <laughs> so I could sit and read. So I'd be looking down. And I was being quiet, so I wasn't acting out in class, yes. but I would get, still get in trouble right. for reading in class. And that was why I got put into the problem kids class in grade mm-hmm. four, where they decided it would be a great idea to combine all the problem kids in the school into one classroom. Yeah. And uh, it was a nightmare, because mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't just me. There were other kids in there who read a lot, so they yeah. were in the class. Then there were hyperactive boys. Yeah. In- introverted girls. Mm-hmm. It was a real mess. There was a lot of crying, a lot well, of Well, I imagine, too, it's like you take all these, like... Difficult cases, yeah. kids who need more support, mm-hmm. and you put them all into one class, yeah. still with one teacher, yeah. still with the same ratio of yeah. teacher to student. Yeah. Like, if you're going to do that, like, give them a helper, give them two teachers, or give them a teacher and an EA. There's no EAs in those days, Right? Though. Like, it just... Because we didn't have... Like, there actually was a disabled boy in the class that I was in, but that was very rare. Like, we yeah. did not have, like... Like, kids who had any sort of development, mental problems... Often went, wouldn't go to school? They didn't go, well, they went to school, but they would go to a specialized school like Woodlands, oh, okay. right? So there was Woodlands where there was, like, an institution where they could live and also go to school. Right. And uh, it was just a way of getting them the heck out of here. hmm And so those those weren't really... So we didn't have, like, EA. We didn't have, like, assistance in classrooms yeah. and things. So this was... Yeah, it was just up to the teacher to do this class. But I just feel like they didn't really understand why the kids were hyperactive. Mm-hmm. And so there was no challenge of the kids. Yeah. You know, and everything was like, everything was not that it was lowest common denominator, but we we're always given the choice to go low, lowest common denominator, which most of the kids would do. Right. Because you're lazy too. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you, you know, I remember we had, we had an opportunity to, um, we had a choice. We had to read a book. We yeah. could read the book on our own, mm-hmm. read the book on our own and do the questions with the teacher. Yeah. Have the teacher read the book to us and do the questions with the teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, the majority of us took that as the obvious op- option because that was the easiest one to do. Right. Oh, I was so bored. So bored having this teacher read this book to us. Oh, my gosh. So, so boring. Yeah. So boring. Because, I mean, we were all these kids who would, like, have book reading races. Yeah. To see who could read a book the fastest and stuff <laughs> like that. Like, And here we are, like, sitting there listening to the teacher, like, interminably read the simplest book as well. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what a nightmare. What a bad decision. Yeah. Never, I never regretted anything more in my life. <laughs> well, yeah, it was like in, yeah, like all through high school, you get those um those short book of short stories, and then the teacher takes turns like asking people to read paragraphs, uh. and you're like, these people are so bad at like reading. <laughs> they are so bad at it. Like, why? I, I guess it's a way to have them engaged. Well, yeah, in that's the, class. the thing. You're trying to like keep people interested, but but it but didn't work that way. It doesn't for work me. that way, no, because the kids who aren't reading are tuned out. Mm-hmm. And it's only the kid who's reading, and they're probably not tuned in either. They're just like barely getting through this yeah. thing. Yeah, care less. I always preferred my English literature teacher because he would—he was a British guy, mm-hmm. and he would read the book to us. Right, like he would read Shakespeare to us, and it just brought it more to life. Yeah, than having like someone else. Re- Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Yeah, what light on yonder window breaks? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he would. You know, he would perform it, and he would do things like I remember him. Uh, like at the, almost from the start of the year, mm-hmm. he'd be talking and then he would look out the window, like he saw something and he'd go, does that cloud look like a whale to you? And we would like look out the window and be like, what? What cloud looks like a whale? What is that? And we're all looking. He would do that all, all the time, right? Yeah. Does that cloud look like a camel? Or... And we'd look out the window like, oh, huh? And then finally you get to the scene in, in Hamlet. Right. Where Hamlet's pretending to go crazy. Yeah. And he's looking out the window and he's going, does that cloud look like a whale? <laughs> and it just brings, it brings you into yeah. the point because you're like, oh, that's what he was doing all that time. <laughs> 
but it's just a way of keeping you in, in yeah engaged totally in it, you know? it, was, it was smart i thought hmm. one more thing about tan and elmer before we move on which is that i thought this was interesting like his mom his he had a really abusive dad uh, abusive to his mom and, and abusive to him and so when they they left they did a midnight run right with help from some neighbors and they moved into this apartment which strangely had two pianos in it hmm. and she came home one day and discovered that Tandon had pushed the pianos together and he was playing them both at the same time because uh, he could get any more interesting effects that right. way. Yeah, just a real clever huh. kid. Yeah. yeah, it's too bad he... Um, I think he had some... Issues? Yeah, some yeah. mental health issues. Well, I mean... Kind of yeah, like it seems like he didn't have a lot of support in in school. Yeah. And it seems like he also didn't have a lot of support in his personal life Yeah, growing up in like an abusive situation, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Extremely hard. But, oh, and one more thing about him, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elm- Elmer also invented a water pipe called the S- Slave Master, which a child's garden of grass described as the perfect bong. So, yeah, he was also <laughs> a little bit of an inventor as well. Oh, good. Good for him. Good for him. But before we go, I want to play one more song by, by him. This is a group called the Garden Club. Okay. It was just a made-up group put mm-hmm. together by Elmer and the producer Larry Marks, who this, this time was at Columbia. He would later go to A&M where he would produce uh, Phil Oak's great albums there. Hmm. But... At this time, he was uh, working at Columbia, so he and Elmer put together this little group with uh, Ruth Ann Friedman on mm-hmm. vocals. Ruth Ann Friedman being most famous for writing the song "Windy," which was oh yeah, was made very very famous by the by the association. She wrote it because she was looking after one of the association's houses. She was sit- being a house sitter, and I guess this girl kept showing up at the house and would just let herself in <laughs> and would just sit on the couch staring at Ruth Ann Friedman, huh. like without any expression or anything like that. And yeah. So, she started to like imagine this girl as like being like actually entertaining and fun. Yeah, and that's how she started coming up with the lyrics to Windy. Like, right. You know who's the, the you know so it's a song about this yeah. really, like breath of sun, breath of fresh air coming into your right. life and stuff like that. The exact opposite of this stalker. <laughs> but anyway, let's listen to uh, Little Girl Lost and Found. This is a song by Tandon Elmer, uh, performed by the Garden Club. Here we go.
a bit of sunshine pop there with some some uh, uh, jangle box or tack piano played by a jazz guy named Mike Kennelly who came in and just whipped that off in a, in a short amount of time and I love the center section where he plays it plays the piano like it's a broken down calliope kind of sound <laughs> yeah the song does have a kind of a fairground sound to it and mm-hmm. uh, I really like that part there and I also love the one thing I just love about sunshine pop I just I really like vocal harmonies and uh, I also love the race to for everyone to figure out like the weirdest like harmony like background vocal parts you know like in this song if you listen to the end of it again you'll hear someone some some of the, the vocalists are going like pop 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 in 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 the background and uh it's really weird but it really works of course in the context of all the voices together and it's kind of like when you listen to like the beach boys if you're an obsessive weirdo like me and you listen to like the the um studio sessions and things where they're just like putting together the various vocal tracks that are separated from each other and you can hear the that the, they're going like wow and stuff like that you know in the middle of the song rather than it's not even like a musical moment it's just but adds some sort of weird effect to the when it's all put together into one vocal yeah. part you know and they're just kind of doing these weird little sounds uh it's it's fascinating so everyone was just sort of like racing it was the uh the voice race you know to try to get the weirdest background vocals onto a single you know so everyone else would just go like can you believe what can you believe what marks and elmer did like i can't believe they put that in a song we gotta do something better and then and then the other thing is like with ruth and friedman i mean here here um she actually like gave up a gig to sing on this song she hmm. gave a job to sing on it but she um and a pretty good gig but she then they took her voice and sped it up so she could be like any other like singer. She oh. almost sounds like Kurt Betcher or something like that singing yeah. the song. Doesn't really have like a to her. She was saying, you know, she's saying she didn't have like a deep voice, but she had a, a you know, kind of like a alto voice. Okay. Yeah. But they sped it up so that she sounds more like a bit, a bit more higher, feminine. More, no, less feminine. More, oh. ma- more male. I think it has more of that, or that kind of, or maybe that kind of uh, unisex kind of voice vocal oh, okay. where it could be boy or girl, that right. kind of genderless. Yeah. Because it was very popular at that time, of course, too, mm-hmm. to have that sort of sense of. Man, woman, who knows? Yeah, like, men wearing their ruffled shirts and their long hair mm-hmm. and things, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I like that song. Okay, Mayor, let's move on to our, our next song of the mixtape. Okay. I keep interrupting us, but this is uh, another song for the mixtape. This is Auto Salvage. The Auto song- Salvage. Yeah, it's the name of the band. The song is called Para Highway. Yes. P A R A Highway. Mm-hmm. From their 1968 album Auto Salvage. Mm-hmm. Let's give it a listen.
right, and we're back, Mary. Yes. Time for you to pull out your uh, notes and let us know what you thought of uh, Auto Salvage's song, Para Highway. I really like this song. You really like this I already song? knew this song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I really like it. It's really good. Um, I really like the singing. I really like the la la la's. <laughs> I like the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. It's a classic. It is interesting. And I really like how it ends too. It's one of those songs that has like a great ending that kind of makes you happy, you know, it's like, cause Biggie says, there's no one else I'd rather be with than you or something like that at the end of the song. And right. You're like, oh, that's, that's nice. And it has that little, that little kind of, just the vocal part of it is just really, uh, thrilling. And it's just one of those things where, yeah, you should always end your song with, with, on, on a kind of, um. In a way that makes people want to listen to the song again. Right. You know? Yes. Like I always, one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs is The Ocean. Mm-hmm. And the reason I love The Ocean so much is because I love the end of the song. Like that's the part, of, that's what I really love about that song. Right. The beginning of it is okay. Yeah. I like it just fine. Mm-hmm. But it's the end that's great. That makes me want to listen to it again so I can hear the end again. Right. And that's what, that's what you should do, mm-hmm. I guess, with the song. Yeah. So Auto Salvage was a New York based group. And I was surprised when I read this because I always thought they were. Uh, they sound like a California group. They yes, sound they like, do. They sound like a, like a Northern California. Yeah, I thought like Badfinger, Birds. Badfinger, British, but yeah. What? Badfinger's British? Yeah. Oh. I think more like Jefferson Airplane. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, Jefferson Airplane kind of more like a Northern, like a San Francisco sound. Right. Like I think that, that's kind of the sound that they had to me anyway. Yeah. And, uh, but no, they were from New York. And originally they were called the Northern Lights. And then they were an opening act for the Mothers of Invention at a little club in New York called the Balloon Farm. Okay. And uh, Frank Zappa said, you guys should change your name to the name of that song you play at the beginning of the show, that that jam. You like you do this big, long jam. And he, that's yeah. the name that you should have for the band. Yeah. Because the name of the song was Auto Salvage. Mm-hmm. He thought that was like a better name for the band. Hmm. I don't know if he was right or wrong. I don't think he's right. I think the Northern Lights is better? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I think Auto Salvage is kind of like, I think it was part of Frank Zappa's love of the ugly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Because whenever I hear Auto Salvage, I'm like, what? <laughs> what kind of name is that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I do think he was like leaping onto a trend that would become more like later on. There were groups like Pacific Gas and Electric and kind of weird names like that. The Loading the loading Ramp and stuff like right. that. Like this kind of weird, weird, weird names that you're like, oh, is that a name? Yeah. Like Chicago Transit Authority. Right. Just stuff like that. Um yeah, so their manager, who also managed the trumpeter L. Hurt, he got them signed to RCA, which is, of course, a death knell. Yes. But for most bands, RCA, or Jefferson Airplane managed to overcome it, but a lot of bands would get stuck. Although, I think um, I think the Youngbloods were also signed to RCA, and they, they did all right. Did they? Because yeah, I've they, never heard of them before. You never heard of the Youngbloods? No. Hmm. Well, they, they had a big hit with a song called Come Together. Mm. Come on, people now. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah, so... Uh, I just think that they they had a bit of momentum, but uh, a guy that liked them a lot said, you guys should move out to the West Coast. You would have tons of gigs out there. But three members of the band didn't want to. One did. One actually did move out there. But the other three didn't want to follow. And so the band kind of ended. And um, yeah. So this song, Para Highway, was actually the B-side to their to their to another song called Rampant Generation. But Para Highway is by far the best song on their album. Like, it is the best song of all. And I actually first heard it, not on, not, I didn't have the record, I bought this on CD later on, but I first heard it because I found this uh, collection, uh, an RCA collection, like a compilation album, kind of a sampler. Okay. Uh, like a, you know, it was all Elvis? No, no. <laughs> but it uh, was called Group Quake. Okay. And, it, and the reason I was most interested in it, it was because it had a ver- version of Euphoria, Performed by the Youngbloods. Mm-hmm. And of course, Euphoria is the Robin Romali song that the, the Holy Motor Rounders would play. And so I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I would like to hear someone else's interpretation of that song. Right. And I knew that 
the Youngbloods featured Jesse Colin Young, who was a childhood friend of Robin Romali and Michael Hurley's. So, you know, he... I figured it would be kind of an interesting yeah. take on it. And it, it is, but this was my favorite song by far on this record that had... Speaking of the lo- Loading Bay or whatever, I think it, they were on this album. Huh. I don't think they are called the Loading Bay, though. But it, it was like a bunch of groups with kind of vaguely unpleasant names right. and a vaguely unpleasant cover. Huh. But I still bought it. It was, came out in 1968. Do you think Illinois Speed Press said the band? Yeah, I think that's an example of yeah. that, too. It was just for, like, kind of a symptom of that time to kind of yeah. give yourself a name that's kind of vaguely unpleasant. Yeah, object-based. A lot of like, maybe I'll name myself um, Ben on top of filing cabinet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it kind of probably grew out of the earlier thing of like sensuous adjective object names, right? Mm. Strawberry alarm clock. Right. Neon philharmonic. Yeah. You could probably think of lots of They're like, we're out of the groovy. Chocolate watch band. Yeah. We're out of the groovy time. We're getting into the. Yeah. Now we got to get more. We're like, we're post. This is we've been influenced by the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah. We've come out of harder people. Yeah, dirtier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sunshine is over, folks. Now we're down to the gritty, yeah, mechanical, yep. world of yeah. That's probably a big part of it too, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, well, let's leave Auto Salvage behind. Okay, bye, Auto Salvage. We bye, like you. Auto Salvage, you're very good. It's a great song. We'll come back and visit you. <laughs> uh, I think it's No One Loves You More Than Me, right? That's how the song ends. I wish I'd listened to the whole. We had listened to the whole song rather than to sort of got a taster of it i mean we listened to it a lot but yeah before we did the show but yep. uh, all right let's move on to long island sound which hmm? believe it or not there is a long island sound it's a, a geographical feature of long island that makes sense but it's also a hilarious name for a band and not original because a million other bands thought it was hilarious too so so if you go to look up this group beware you will also find a dance band that is currently available for your party on long island but this is long island sound from 1967 the song is One, Two, Three, and I Fell, and uh, it came out on Dino Voice Records, backed with a song called Skid Row, and let's give this song a listen, everybody. Kissing a while, watching you smile, spending my time with you. Look at the way
Mayor. Question for you. Question for me. Why why is it why is it funny that there's a Long Island sound? Well, cuz like calling a band the sound. Yes. It's funny cuz a band makes a sound. Right. So then Long Island sound cuz yeah. these are all New York based groups. So right. Long Island sound. That's funny. Okay. It's a geographical place but it's also Right. You know. I mean, I guess you could, but you could do that about every other sound. Yeah, like there, sh- there should have been a band in Seattle called the Puget Sound. Yes, that would have been funny. That would have been a yeah. funny name because you would, ha- you know, not only is your sound, you know, a sound, a sound of Seattle, a sound mm-hmm. of Puget Sound, but also it's an actual physical, yeah. you know, body of water. Physical also, job, a band from feature. Vancouver mm-hmm. called Desolation Sound. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be very good. Yeah, yeah. Get on it. Me? Yeah, get or just someone. A, yeah, you start a band. Okay, I have no musical skills at all but all right um what do you think of one two three and i fell i liked it of course you did you know why because pretty proto bubblegum right yeah yeah, yeah it's really, i liked it's it right in that right in that wheelhouse like it's not quite at the bubblegum area yet yes but it's definitely well yeah okay this, these time. are my notes i said fun yeah with two exclamation marks uh, two two ends exclamation marks oh okay fun <laughs> i said i like the instruments yeah i like the fun bad yelling slash singing and then i said with toned down vocals i could see it as a bubblegum pop song but even if you think of bubblegum pop songs like the way that uh joey levine sang he often mm-hmm. sang with that kind of like yelly kind of kind of crap you know kind of mm. i guess of but i, I felt like it was a bit too like harsh mm, mm. to be like fully bubblegum pop yeah yeah and i think that it was the lyrics like i think with lyrics that were not so or not lyrics but vocals okay yeah okay so when I when I sent this to Nick Owen, he really liked the song. Yeah. In fact, he he wrote to me and he said, "Who are Long Island Sound?" Yeah. One, two, three, and I fell, and I said, "I don't know." <laughs> I got it from a compilation. I yeah. got it from the Nuggets uh, compilation. Good old Nuggets. Nuggets Pop Volume Three, Volume Two or Volume Three, maybe Volume Two. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I like I bought those records in the '80s, so. They do have like a little bit of a description in the back, but not very much as liner notes. So I was like, I have no idea. And also, I was at work. So I looked it up, and, uh, and it was hard to find information about this group. So this is what I've kind of worked out, Mare, is that it's not a band. Okay. It's session musicians mm. with, the singer, with the songwriters. Right. The producer-songwriters. So it was written by songwriting, songwriter producers, Bo Gentry and Richie Cordell. In both cases, not their real names. Along with the arranger Jimmy Calvert, he also got a writing credit. But it's Gentry and Cordell who are performing the song. Now, they'd already written hits for Tommy James and the Shondells. Like, I Think We're Alone Now. Do you know that song? I Think, I think We're, we're alone, alone Now. now. Yeah. yeah, it's in... Um, it was covered as well by... A, yeah, by, there's a... By Tiffany, I think. Yes, there. it's in um, Umbrella Academy. The yeah, first season. yeah. And also, Mo- Moni Moni, which if you love Goofy Grades, you know that song. It was on Goofy Grades. Moni Moni. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so, they wrote the songs for Tommy James and the Shondells. And in 1967, they formed a production company called Big Kahuna Productions when they merged their production company Cordell Gentry Conceptions with Jerry Kasnitz and Jeff Katz's Super K Productions. And Mary, you may not know the names Jerry Kasnitz and Jeff Katz, but you know their productions because they were responsible for Yummy, Yummy, Yummy and, mm-hmm. and uh, One, Two, Three, Red Light uh-huh. and Simon Says, uh-huh. and all those songs. Indian all the, Giver. All the bubblegum songs. Mm-hmm. Well, Indian Giver... Mm-hmm was written by Bo Gentry and Richie Cordell. Okay. Because what happened was, it was, so they merged together. It lasted about two months, and then Super K left. And so then uh, Cordell and Gentry just carried on as Big Kahuna Productions. So, for instance, this single is a Big Kahuna production. But in 1968, a year later, Cats and Cats, obviously flush with bubblegum money, bought Big Kahuna. 
And okay. Cordell and Gentry began to work for Super K Productions. And so, yeah, so then they provided songs like Indian Giver to the 1910 Fruit Gum Company, one of my all-time favorite bubblegum songs, by the way. And uh, I think Cordell also provides, wrote uh, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme Good Lovin' for Crazy Elephant as well. Oh, okay. Um, just wanted to say mm-hmm. that the Long Island Sound yeah. is from Nuggets Volume 4, Pop Part 2. Oh, I didn't realize it was... Is that on record? Hmm? That's a record? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I thought didn't think it was that late. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, Gentry would go on to write the instrumental hit Groovin' with Mr. Blow, which became a, like a super big hit in England. It became like a Northern Soul classic. Did you, sorry, did you look at the Discogs for Long Island Sound? Yep. Okay. Why? Why? You saw that it was formed in Connecticut? Where? Let me see. Oh, that's a different one. That's a different, that's a different uh, Long Island Sound. But it's the one that was linked yeah, to no, 1, the, 2, 3 and FL. Yeah, it shouldn't though. They didn't. Oh. If you look at their, there's a page where the guy wrote a history of the group, and they're not, uh, there's not, they're not, they're not related. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I checked that out. He had like a really old website, you know, one of those old websites where it's like all like like a weird neon blue background and then yellow writing on it. Right. That kind of that kind of old website, and he describes the history of that band, that Long, Long Island Sound, <clears throat> and they uh, they were different. Yeah, they were a different group. Okay. Yeah. Yes, they changed. They changed the name to Room Four Zero Four later on. Oh, okay. And recorded for a while, but they never really like. And I think he wrote a song that called Steps that uh, was sent to Paul McCartney mm-hmm. because they thought that Paul McCartney would really like it. And uh, and then Paul McCartney they returned it, then apparently wrote the song Goodbye for, for Mary Hopkin, which this guy said sounded very much like Steps. So I, I don't know. I don't want to say that's for sure what happened, but uh, that's what he, he felt that way anyway, just so you know. So yeah, so Cordell would later produce the Joan Jett cover version of the Arrow's I Love Rock and Roll. And then in 1987, Cordell and Gentry's song... I think we're alone now, which at that time was covered by Tiffany, mm-hmm. was replaced by another song, another one of their songs, "Moni Moni," covered by Billy Idol in the top one in the top of the top one hundred. Okay, so that's kind of cool yeah. thing to have happen. So anyway, I'm sure they made some good money from their songs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna play one song by Cordell and Gentry, mm-hmm. and if you listen to this, I think you can tell that they're the ones who are singing "One Two Three and I Fell." Right. This song is called "Love Is Here." It was written produced in their names. It was okay. released on Columbia Records uh, back with Day Long. Uh, came out in 1968. Now, let me just tell you, Mary. Yes. The B-sides mm-hmm. of Bubblegum songs are terrible. Are they? Terrible. Hmm. Because they didn't want DJs flipping them. Right. So, like, the song Skid Row is just, like, the most ridiculous. It's just, like, basically a spoken word thing. Oh. And they sing words like, like, they sing stuff like, roaches, 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 stuff like that. It's just really weird. It's just huh. a crazy song. I'm not going to play that one because it's not really a pleasant listen. Yeah. It was just designed so that it didn't get flipped. They, right. They wanted the A-side to be the A-side. Gotcha. What's funny about this one, this Columbia album, or Columbia single, if you look on the single, one side is called Recommended Side, mm-hmm. and then the other side is just whatever, just Day yeah. Long. But if you listen to Day Long, you'd be like, I don't think the kids will like it. Yeah. Let's stick to Love Is Here. Yeah. So let's give a listen to Richie Cordell and Bo Gentry with their attempt to become a songwriting, singing duo a la Simon Garfunkel, although they don't sound like Simon Garfunkel. Yes. This is strictly straight down the pipe, bubblegum soul, yep. circa 1968. Okay. Actually... A little bit ahead of its time, actually, because I think most of the bubblegum soul started coming out a bit later. But maybe, like, maybe the American breed—that's who they remind me of. Actually, that was concurrent with this sound. Okay. Anyhow, no one cares about what I'm talking about. I can see Mary's eyes are glazing over. Let's listen to <laughs> Richie Cordell and Bo Gentry with "Love Is Here."
Primary, so I lied. Hmm? I lied. I did play I did play Skid Row oh, by, Dad. by Long Island Sound. Uh, and I think you can hear that there was they were in no danger of a DJ flipping that to deciding that was the better song and that they should, yeah, no way. They should play that one. Because the reason they didn't want the, the, the singles flipped is that it, it cut the sales in half. Right, of it course. Cut, and it cut your airplay in yep. half. So if radio stations were playing the B and A side, then you would fall, you would drop in the, in the, uh, in the, yeah. down in the uh, top 40 or whatever, where, where, you know, where you hoped you'd be anyway. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, that was, uh, that was fun. Yep. Goofy, silly. Yep. Never to be listened to again. Yep. I mean, that song wasn't bad. No, no. It was just like weird. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's no one, two, three, and I fell. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. no one, two, three, and I fell. And it's also not a song that's going to be played on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a radio song. Yeah. All right. Although, you know what? I'll say this. It's true. I'll say this right now. Like, as a kid, my my um, my um cousin, my cousin Diane, had Let It Be as a single. Okay. Let It Be was okay. Let It Be was okay, I yep. felt like. Yeah. What I loved was. You know my name. Look up the number on the other right. side, which was this goofy, like silly track of just basic lyrics are just you know my name. Look up the number. Yeah. Sung in a variety of silly voices. Right. And a variety of different musical styles and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just thought that was like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you know. So I, it depends who you are, I guess, how you react to it. Maybe as a kid, I would have loved. I would have loved that side. I would love Maybe. Skid Row. I'm like this song is great. But I mean, Roaches. <laughs> Roaches. But I mean, like you, what your likes are not universal. Well, I hope not. What, what do you mean you hope not? I hope my likes aren't universal. Okay. I am my own man. Yes, you are. Mayor, speaking of... Roaches? Own, speaking of roaches? I was going to say, speaking of own men... Oh, okay. Let's talk about llamas. Okay. Don't know... I thought it was a great... I thought that was a great... Uh, it wasn't at all, segu- but okay. One of the best segues I've ever done. It was not a good transition. No, no, it was fantastic. Or even a transition. No, no, it was good. Okay. I guess what you should have said was, speaking of, speaking of roaches, uh-huh. then I would have said, speaking of high... Let's listen to the High Llamas. Oh, you set me up for that and I didn't even get it. Didn't pick it up, Mayor. I, I apologize right now. Bad co-host. Yes, I was definitely setting you up. Bad co-host. Definitely. Damn it. Damn it. Let's do that again. <laughs> Let's do it again. You, you say that. Okay. Um, anyway, Mayor. Speaking of own men. Oh. Oh, no, I got mixed up. <laughs> it's too complicated. <laughs> All right. Let's oh, wait, wait, I should have oh, said. Yep. Speaking of weirdos. Let's listen to the High Llamas <laughs> from their album, their 1996 album, Hawaii. This is Theaterland. Let's give it a listen, everybody.
And we're back. Hey, Dad. Yes. Do you want to hear my first note for this song? Sure. Sounds like the High Llamas. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. Yeah, you are right. It was the High Llamas. Um, I feel like... I like this song. Yeah. I liked it. It's a good song. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I know you said before we played uh, Nomads earlier, uh-huh. and you said you thought that was the one good song on Hawaii. Well, I said that all the other songs paled in comparison. Pale, okay, paled in comparison. I would agree with that. I think Nomads is great. But you know what's funny is Nomads was not the single for that album. So wrong. Such a wrong decision. I know. That's our second song on this mix that should have been the single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, although to, after, to be fair, Crash um, was a successful wait, wait, single. Wait, after. I forgot what the song was called. What, what was the song we just listened to? Skid Row? Yeah, after Skid Row. Yeah, it should have yeah. been the single. That's right. Yeah. It should have been the single. Should have been the A side. <laughs> Roaches. <laughs> Roaches. <laughs> Speaking of getting high, Mary. Uh huh. We just listened to the High Llamas. Right. And I'm not going to say very much about them because we talked about them when we did Nomad. So there's okay. no need to go into an album we've already talked about. Let That's me just fair. say, though, that I do think that uh, the lead singer of the group, Sean, o- Sean O'Hagan, mm-hmm. singer, songwriter, banjo player, yep. guitar player, yep. keyboard player, right. arranger. One of those multi talented, super talented guy. A holes. Not a great singer. What? I think he's a good singer. I don't think he's a great singer, but I love his voice in this context. Like, I think mm. it's really great when he's straining for those high notes. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, very, very, you know, like if he was actually could sing the high notes, it wouldn't be quite as much fun. It wouldn't be it's, as charming. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be as charming. It's, it's charming with him trying to like, you know, strain a voice that, you know, like he was in a group before this, before the High Llamas form called Micro Disney. Okay. And in that case, it was a guy named Cathal Coughlin who... Did this? Did the the vocals and Sean O'Hagan was just the guitar player in the group. So it's you know it's props to him for like starting a band, decide he's going to be the singer, and not having the world's greatest voice. But I still like it a lot. I just mean it's not like you know he's not going to be singing opera anytime soon. Thank goodness. Who wants to listen to opera? Boo. Boo. All right, Mayor. Want, yes. want another song? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, okay. What are, you, what are you trying to do? I wanted to say yeah about this song. Yeah. We just listened to yeah by the High Llamas. Oh, we've like... already, we already finished talking about High Llamas. No, we haven't. I want to yeah, say no, something. Gonna, make... okay, no, sorry. I have something to say. Yeah. I have to say that they had like bells or something that they had like a nomad nomads. Okay. Right? Did you notice that? Okay. Go on. Is that is that right? Am I right? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what you mean by, by bell. I didn't really hear any bells. There. Okay. I think I actually meant tambourine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's slight shaking of tambourine. Yeah. Could be tambourine. Could be a very lightly played uh, snow, uh, jingle bells, like uh, but who knows. Yeah. No, I'm... When you listen to the song, though, you can really hear um, what people around the Beach Boys heard, and want, like, were, you know, they wanted to get yeah, Sean, I o- got... Sean O'Hagan to like produce the Beach Boys. Yes, but I definitely got a Beach Boys vibe from it. Yeah, yeah. But... but I thought that this song, I thought that the tambourine use in the song was pretty similar to in Nomads. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah interestingly, Sean O'Hagan does not do the horn arrangement, so it's by a friend of his called Marcus Ho- Holloway, I think his name is, who, who plays plays trombone on with. Plays trombone, but he also arranges the horns and stuff. So, but yes. Okay. Now that you've... Uh, hmm? Spilled water all over myself? Spilled water all over myself? <laughs> let's, let's move on, Mary. Okay. Now that you've reached that low point in the show, let's go on to the low anthem. Is that, that Was that a good segue? Did you like that segue? No? Okay. Hmm? Yes, no. <laughs> yes, no. Yes, no. Let's give a listen to... This is the low anthem. Okay. From their album Island, spelled E-Y-E-Y-E, Land. From 2016, this song is called In the Air Hockey Fire. Let's give it a listen, everyone. I smoked myself. 
Okay, Mary. Yes. We're back. Yes, we are. And what did you think of uh, the low anthem and their their laid back song in the hockey fire? Okay, so when the song first started, yep. just at the very beginning, yep. there's like a little bit where it's just instrumental before I start singing. Sure. When it very first started, yeah. I was like, is this Pop Goes My Heart? Oh, from the movie Music and Lyrics starring Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore. Yes, uh, music for that song written, or for that movie written by Adam Schlesinger yep. of Fountains of Wayne. Yep. Um, and then it started and I was like, okay, very much not. <laughs> but I think my brain just went there for a second. Yeah, sure, sure. I think I have Adam Schlesinger on the brain right now. Fair enough. Um, we we, we uh, all feel terrible about his passing. Yes. And we also just listened to Radiation Vibe. Yep. And I was also listening to a song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this past week. Okay. So that made me think of him again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely not Pop Goes My Heart. <laughs> but I thought it was a cute song. I liked it. It was very slow. Yeah. It was nice. <clears throat> um, I thought it kind of sounded like Destroyer mm. mixed with Sofiane Stevens. Interesting. That's a that's an interesting uh, way to think of it. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I thought maybe it was a bit too long. Mm. Uh, definite disease of all modern music. Is, yeah. Like... I, I was looking at... Um, I was thinking about it the other day because I was thinking like when the Beatles started, you had to do a single... Your single had to be two and a half minutes long. Anything longer than that, you wouldn't get played on the radio. And some sometimes they'd lie. It might be two minutes 45, and they would still write two, two and a half minutes on the single. But it had to be two and a half minutes for for the single. Then, at some point in the 60s, it became a minute longer. You could do three and a half minutes for your single. And then you, it keeps getting longer. So, like, nowadays, we're at, like, f- over four minutes is considered, like, a good length for a song. And it just feels like that's way too much time to spend. If you don't, if you don't have that much to say, you don't need to, have to spend that much time saying it, you know? But it's just that's what radios want. Radio stations want those that long a length now for songs. Right. So you know musicians are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place between me and my demand for short pithy songs and radio stations and their demand for songs that DJs can go pee during. I don't know what the point. I think it's they want to pay less songs during the day, so they pay less in in uh, right. Pay less out in the in in the hmm. paying for the music. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder. Well. I don't know. But, I mean, movies have also been getting longer. Yeah. You know, like a movie that does not deserve to be long yeah. will be very long. Yeah. And will often have, like, big, like, parts in the movie where you're like, this could have been cut for time. <laughs> Why was this not cut for time? So you, your movie was an hour and a half long yeah. rather than two hours long. Sure. Jurassic World. <laughs> you know? Yes. I don't know why that is because theaters, it's opposite. Like, theaters want to have turnover. Yeah. Of move, you know, of 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 audiences. Yes. So the longer the the longer the movies are, the less time audiences can be in the theater. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. It's a strange. I think maybe they want to make it worth their while to go there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what Duncan has suggested. Yeah. But I don't know. Like it's such a big. Like I mean, I guess it's not that much longer, thirty minutes, but it feels really long when you're sitting there watching a movie. Well, here's how to make it make it feel more worthwhile: is to make better movies. Yes. Yep. If the movie's good, then you'll. Yeah. You don't mind. Although, you know, we saw Tenet, and that's a very long film, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel long to me. Well, no, because it's a very well-constructed film. Yeah. As opposed to that um, le- that King Arthur movie Duncan and I saw <laughs> in, like, 2016, yeah. where, like, there's yeah. just this, like, big point in the middle where, like, nothing happened for so long, and I was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom because I'm bored. Like, I don't even really have to go. I'm just bored, and I think I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know? Guy Ritchie. Um, yes, it was. And it was not a good movie. Hmm. All right. 
Let's talk a little bit about the low anthem, and then we'll then we'll move on, Mary. Okay. So they are from they are from Providence, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and so this is from their this album came out five years after their previous album, which was called Smart Flesh. During this long break, very long break, they bought a theater in Rhode Island in, in Providence. They bought a theater, and they turned into a studio, turned into a studio space, and so then they can also recorded some other bands in it and stuff like that while they were. And I think they wanted a long break because I think they felt like they had were kind of in a rut, musically speaking. I associate them with Americana, so I always was kind of not that interested in this group. I always felt, whenever I read about them, I felt like it was going to be a lot, a lot of banjos being thrown right. at me. And I was just kind of like, meh, I don't know about that. I like a banjo. It's okay. After a while, I get tired of it. I uh, didn't really, it wasn't really, you know, I knew about them, but I wasn't too interested in them. And they have a, and it's weird, like reading about them, it seemed like every album was like their first concept album, their second concept album. This is their fourth concept album. And I'm like, this is their fourth concept album. What is the concept of this album? I can't even figure it out. But I guess there's a concept album. I'll have to look it up one day. Hmm. So the band was formed by a couple guys. One guy was named, is named Ben Knox Miller. And his, and another guy named Jeff Pristowski, who met while co-presenting a late night jazz radio show at Brown University. And they became friends and teammates on a local baseball team. And the reason I bring this up, Mary, the team is called the Providence Grays. But the reason okay. I bring this up is because Pristowski... Player managed the team while teaching, listen, Mary. Yes. While teaching baseball history at a local high school. Huh. Does that seem re- weird to you? Baseball history? Yeah. Seems very American. At a high school. Seems very, yeah, at a high school is weird. It seems very American. Yeah. Do, okay, this is a, this might be a rude question. Do they have like a curriculum in American schools? <laughs> like here, there's yeah. like a curriculum. Yeah. And like if you want to teach a class in a high school, it has to be on the bc curriculum yeah right you can't just like make up a class and teach it in a high school sure like it has to be listed or it has to be like a part of the bc curriculum which isn't to say that they give you like a layout for how the class goes but it just has to be recognized as one of those courses the topic has to fit the curriculum exactly right so you can't be like i'm gonna teach history of baseball you can't just do that (laughs) in a high school you have to if you want to teach something like that you can like start a baseball club yeah, start a baseball club or like, or you could, you could also incorporate um, two different classes together into one class. Okay. Like the, I had a combined English and social studies class. Okay. Or at mom's school, they have a combined, um, they have a combined English and socials, but then they also had a combined law and CLC, which is um, like a planning okay. 12 class, okay. which you take either in grade, yeah, in grade 12. Mm. Um, and so it was planning 12 and law 12. And so they, they kind of work together, yeah. right? Because you're talking about law and then you're also talking about like university applications and um, yeah, and like taxes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could do that with English and or with history and gym and try to combine them. But you'd probably have to like, you know, suggest that to the to the principal of the school and be like, this is my plan. Yeah. And this isn't going to be just talking about the history of baseball we're actually gonna there's actually gonna be some content to it you know you're gonna be i'm gonna combine an english class yep with a law class uh-huh. so we can read john grishin books all uh semester yeah that would work <laughs> right or like well my my um humanities class my english social socialist class all the the books that we read other than our mandatory yearly shakespeare was um they were all history related huh so we read all quiet on the western front yeah and we read one about um, the De- Great Depression, based in the prairies, and we read, 
I can't remember any of theirs, but I remember those two <laughs> that we read. Yeah. I think yeah. we read. And then we did Shakespeare. I think we did another one. Hmm. hmm. All right. Mayor. Yes. You know it's still winter time. It is. And sometimes there are songs that are winter songs. Okay. That have nothing to do with Christmas. Yes. And let's listen to one of those now. This is okay. Cla- Claudine Langer. Yep. The song is called Snow. Okay. This was a, an A&M single, and it was a B-side to a song that we'll talk about when we come back. So anyway, let's listen to Snow. This is Cla- Claudine Langer. What did you think of Claudine Langer and um, her song Neige? Was it Neige or was it Snow? It was Snow. Okay. Um, I Sorry, I was driving and I got Duncan to take my notes for me for uh, this one. Uh, I didn't take very good notes. Okay. He like didn't write down what I told him to. Anyway, um, <laughs> I thought the song was very French. Okay. Uh, I It was a very sweet song. Mm-hmm. Maybe too sweet, okay. though. A little okay. saccharine. Yeah. Um, she has a very like breathy way of singing. Yes, she does. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, when I was listening to this song, I went, ah, oh, she really influenced Air in the way they mm, just sing some of yeah. those songs. And, or maybe she's just drawing from a, a, a similar Gaelic tradition that right. they're drawing from as well. But believe it or not, Mary, 
two two weird coincidences. One is last week, or not last week, but last bye week. Yep. We listened to a song by Claudine Langer. We did. Called "I Don't Intend to Spend Christmas Without You." Yep. And is this the B-side to that this song? This was the B-side to that song. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> that, funny. That's funny. Of course, when I put this song on this mix, I did not right. at first no, think to myself, of course. It, in three years' time, I will put this song mm-hmm. after I'll put this song after we do a mix, mix yeah, uh, that's of funny. Christmas songs. Yeah, I know. So it's kind of amusing. So yeah, uh, this song was written by Randy Newman, every child's favorite composer. Yes, because of Toy Story. Because of Toy Story. <laughs> Toy Stories. Yep. More than one movie. But yeah, so he and Bugs Life as well, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't remember Bug's Life. Yeah, so it was written by Randy Newman. This was during his time when he was not as yet a performer, but was kind of a, an a songwriter? As- aspiring songwriter. He, his voice and his, you know, he, he was considered to be too weird to be a to be a popular singer. You know, because he had a kind of a weird voice, a kind of rough right. voice. And everyone's like, you can't be a singer, but we, you, know, you could probably be like a hit songwriter. You can maybe write some songs. Uh, produced by Tommy LaPuma, as we mentioned last time. Same person who produced the first side of this. And also uh, arranged by Nick DeCaro. And I really love the... I know you said it's a bit too sweet, but I love the strings in it. I love how they have like that feeling of like swirling snow in parts of the song. Oh, yeah. They, oh, yep. it's, it's really well, really well orchestrated, I think. And this is a really great song now the root i did not hear this as the b-side to i don't intend to spend christmas without you in fact i did not hear i don't intend to spend christmas without you until i was much older this song was one of the songs on that a&m sampler i talked about so incessantly while we're doing the christmas uh mix uh something festive that came out in 1968 was was given away when you went to bf goodrich or firestone i guess firestone it was bf goodrich or one of those big time tire companies if you went there and bought your winter tires you'd get this record and so uh, that's where I first heard it. And I just love, I love it from that ex- experience of listening to that song. And I just think it's just a great song. But, but you thought it was a bit too sweet. A little bit, yeah. All right. So we did two slow songs in a row. And I thought, well, that's too much. So let's, let's break it up. Let's listen to a little bit of Teen. The band Teen. Can I teen. say one oh, quick sure. thing? Yeah, sure. Randy Newman's son. Yeah. Eric Newman. Okay. Is a producer. Mm. Um, and he founded a um, production company. Yeah. Um, but he has produced such films as Children of Men. Oh, wow. And that's all the good ones. <laughs> but um, I was excited about Children of Men. Yeah. So I yeah. thought it was enough to mention. He's also produced The Last Exorcism 2010. Is that bad? Okay. That's actually a really good movie. Is it? Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, my gosh. It's good. Oh, okay. Oh, I highly recommend that film. If people, if you haven't seen The Last Exorcism, I'm going to say nothing about it, but it's a really good movie. It's found footage. It's good. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's one of the best found footage films. Question: Have you seen Creep? It's not found footage. It's a mock, mock like a fake documentary. Oh, okay. Movie, but yeah, it's a. I guess it could be considered found footage. Anyway, it says found footage, but anyway. Okay. Okay. Wikipedia speaks. Um. Oh wait. Oh no. No, never mind. Uh. Then he produced 2011's The Thing. Hmm. Then he produced 2011's movie In Time. That's a good one. Which I only know is a Flophouse movie. Oh, is it? I thought that was the one with... Uh, wasn't That's that about time. Oh. In time is one where time is like currency, and people have the amount of time that they have oh, left okay, to live on their okay. on their arm. He likes his high concept films, this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one did not do very well. Um, huh. He's also done a few remakes. I see. I mean, well... To be fair to the, to the thing, the thing could have been better than it was. The problem was is the studio, not... Not him, but the studio insisted on replacing the practical effects they'd done with computer animation. With computer effects, oh, and that really yeah. gave it a weird look to the movie. Yeah, but yeah. as a producer, you have to you have to listen to the big money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
You know, it's, that's the problem. Yeah. They're the ones putting in the lion's share of the money. You're just the one who's put together the money and made right. it into a possibility, right? Yeah. He's, he's, I don't think he's... He, let's just say Randy Newman is not wealthy enough with movie-making money, so his son isn't wealthy enough to have movie-making money. <laughs> he's just a, he's just a middleman who's right. acting as a... As a, as a go-between. As a go-between. Yeah, to, between to, money and, and creators. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Uh, other things he has produced, The Man with the Iron Fists, 2012, uh, The Sacrament, 2013, Robocop, 2014, Bright, 2017... Oof. Um, oh, he's making movies. He is making movies. Make better movies, though. Yeah, I know more Children of Men. What a good movie! Yeah, that's a Children great movie. Of Man. Yeah, great. Oh, so good. Yeah, do more work with Alejandro. Yoda. Wait, no. Uh no. It's not Alejandro. Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, so Alfonso Cuarón. Sorry, I started. I started off on the wrong foot. Yeah. The wrong foot of Demir. I apologize. You went. You started off. Al was good, and then you went <laughs> off the wrong way. Off the curve. Yeah. He also produced the TV show Narcos. Okay. Which I've never seen. And also Hemlock Grove, which I've also never seen. Well, Narcos, I mean, every every show I watched on Netflix was uh, was all related to Narcos. Like, yeah. every time I watched it, be like, you enjoyed... You watched Gossip Girl? You might like Narcos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's listen to Teen. This okay. is Teen. The song is Electric. Okay. Came out in 2012, and it was out from their album In Limbo. So let's give it a listen, everybody. This is Teen. Teen. Thank you. 
so that was Teen with Electric Mary. What did you think of that song? Oh, I liked that song. Oh, that's good. I thought it was fun. Yeah. That it was kind of kind of weird, kind of punky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, I like the singing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's weird about this group is that they did this song, they did this this album in this kind of style, and then after that they kind of switched into a more contemporary, more kind of a... Normal? Normal, like, you know, like with the kind of beats and all that kind of stuff. It's still, it's still all right, but it's just... It's not quite the same. I really like the chantiness of it. Yeah. While we were listening to it, I was pretending to march. So maybe that's why I like it. I want I like to march places. Right. Probably. So I want to march to the U.S. Capitol. Yep. And say, settle down. And, mar- <laughs> and then march back home. March home. <laughs> that was a long way to go just to say that. I really <laughs> wanted to say it. So they're a Brooklyn-based group of three, count them, three Haligonian sisters. I'm sorry? Haligonian sisters. What's Haligonian? They're from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh. And uh, Christina. Haligonian? Yeah, that's what you call a person I've from Halifax. I've never heard that before. Oh, oh now you know. Hmm. You've learned something here today, Mary. I'm glad I was able to teach you something. You're looking up the derivation of Haligonian? Yeah, Christina, or her nickname, Teeny Lieberson, and her sisters, Catherine and Lizzie Lieberson, with, at this point in the band's history, Maya Ibar and Jane Herships. They later lost Maya and Jane and gained a different bass player. But uh, at this point, there was a, fi- a five-piece group. And what's interesting about the Lieberson sisters is that they are the daughters of Peter Lieberson, who is a classical composer and a real proponent of meditation. And the reason they were born in Halifax, because their dad is actually from America. His dad was Goddard Lieberson, who was one, once upon a time the head of Columbia Records, Mayor. Mm-hmm. A man so president, so 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 president. A man so powerful, <laughs> a man so powerful that he was called God by everyone who knew him, and they meant it. And uh, yeah, but his son became a classical composer, and then he also became, as I said, a, a proponent of transcendental meditation. So he had moved from the estates and had moved up to Halifax, and was the international director of the Halifax Shambhala Center, so meditation center there. And uh, I guess that's where the girls were born, and so they became Haligonians. Hmm. And I, what I really like about this song is this chanting style of the song kind of reminds me of the band Goat that we've played a couple of times before. It really has a bit of a sound like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. And and he kind of even related to that. Like Goat, it's Goat, but spelled all in capitals. Okay. And that's how Teen Dude as well. They put their name all in capitals. So huh. I feel like they might have been quite influenced by Goat at this point. Although they changed later. But I'm glad you enjoyed it, Mara. Mara, we're doing pretty good. I we're, mean, I guess they had to change their name. Okay. Because they weren't teens anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they broke up... Uh, couple years ago right i think in 2019 hmm. but i don't know if they broke up broke up right. or if the sisters just went on to do a different kind of project yeah so it's hard to imagine like the sisters not working together yeah possible i mean yeah it's possible that they just wanted to they they felt like they had the band had run its course yeah right yeah yeah okay now we're on to our penultimate song everybody this is one of my personal favorite singers songwriters in music and i hope you enjoy her as well this is Jackie DeShannon. Were you going to say something more, sorry? I was, about Haligonian, oh, quickly. Oh, sure, sure. According to this website, yeah. it is a false etymology. Okay. Um, so it comes from, like, the town of Halifax, which yeah. is in West Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, but it's existed since, it's existed for over a thousand years now. Okay. So, like, it's hard to really know where the town name came from. Yeah. Um, but some scholars pr- propose that it was from the Old English Halig Fee, Feax, Feax, okay. F-E-A-X, which means holy hair. Okay. Um, And so if that's where 
the the Haligonia yeah came from hmm. and that's where Haligonian came from as well yeah yeah um yes cool but that's what you call them yep nonetheless now I know <laughs> now you know now you know and let's listen to some Jackie DeShannon everybody this is a dream boy and it was unreleased until 1994 this came out on a best of collection that i have called what the world's needs now is dot 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 jackie de shannon true mm-hmm. words are never spoken mm-hmm. but let's listen to dream boy from uh this is actually recorded in 1964 and let's hear jackie de shannon with dream boy everybody i think you'll enjoy this <laughs> Feelings, emotional disturbances caused by Jackie Shannon's Dream Boy. Um, I thought the song was okay. Okay. Uh, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I didn't love it. Yeah. I didn't hate it. Okay. It feels kind of like a placeholder to me. Mm. Um, or I love it. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> but it was one of those songs that for me, I had to listen to it a lot to make it to, to form an opinion on it. Huh. Like listening to it the first time, I was kind of just like, okay. Like, this is fine. I had to keep listening to it because I kept getting distracted. Okay. It's like water off a duck's back, <laughs> but in my brain. Just, like, slides right off my brain. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and maybe it's not because it's, it's not a fully formed song. It's a, It was a demo. Right. Yeah, recorded, that might be it. Recorded as this, for, you know, for other other artists to listen to and maybe, maybe want to record themselves. But I just love her voice so much. I love her, that little bit of country twang in her voice, that little bit of the hiccup in her voice. It really... Is fantastic, and she has that slightly, maybe I've been drinking whiskey all night kind of voice. So this right. slight, slight touch of that as well, and it's uh, really appeals to me. Mary, just so you know, she was born mm-hmm. Sharon Lee Myers. Okay, 
in the small town of Hazel, Kentucky, and at the age of six, she hosted her own radio program. Wow, that's a well. Lot. Sorry, she began singing on the radio at the age of oh, six. Okay, at that... the a- oh, okay. Sorry, late starter. At the age of eleven, she was hosting her own radio program. Okay, what a failure. No, six seems too young. Yeah, to do that. Yeah. Eleven also seems too young. To yes, that, to be eleven honest, seems but... very young. So she did that for many, many years. Then she signed to Liberty Records in 1960. Okay. And by that point, she'd been recording already for various labels, uh, not under her own name. Usually, she might be like Sharon Lee. She might be Sharon Myers. Mm-hmm. She might. She tried different names. And then she started calling herself Jackie D. Okay. And she liked Jackie. Yeah. Because it was had no gender to it right might be a guy might be a girl and this was sort of important in those days the same way that women authors would often hide right their true name under initials or even just call themselves by man's name Mm -hmm. like andre norton like andre norton yeah exactly like uh george sands like t like uh like um george elliott Mm -hmm. these people all just kind of give themselves a name that so other people wouldn't go oh it's written by a woman ridiculous yeah this song this song has been written by a woman yeah terrible so, uh, yeah, so she closed off Jackie D for a while, but she thought it was too close to Sandra D. And so when she signed to Liberty, she changed her name to Jackie De, Sh- Jackie De Shannon. Mm-hmm. Shannon being a, a historical family name. Oh, okay. So here's the thing. She did not have much in the way of hits at Liberty, despite trying teen pop, country ballads, rockabilly, gospel, and soul. She just couldn't seem to get a, any kind of traction. Right. But it was her songwriting... And her public profile that kind of kept her signed to the label. She dated Elvis Presley. Oh, wow. She was friends with the Everly Brothers and Ricky Nelson. She acted in the 1964 teen surf movie Surf Party with with Bobby Vinton. You can watch. Surf Party? Yeah, it's great. Um, and then her version of Sonny Bono and Jack uh, Nietzsche's Needles, Needles and Pins kind of bubbled under around and near the top 100 in the States. Making it all the way to number one in Canada where we have better taste. And, um, <laughs> and also the song that she wrote called... Uh, when you walk in the room, it kind of bubbled under around the same place for her in the charts in the states. But for the Searchers, the British group, the Searchers, they took it up into the top ten in England and in America. Now her biggest break came in 1964. She had the opportunity; she was invited by the Beatles to be their, their opening act for their tour, and so that was a huge thing for her. She toured. She had Ry Cooter in her band. Now in 1965, she was in L.A. Really influenced by West Coast sounds, by the yep. folk rock, well, folk music at that time. Mm-hmm. It really, was sort of not folk rock yet, but she was part of the kind of the move into folk rock. She provided a song, um, Don't Doubt Yourself, Babe, for the Bird's first album. Okay. The story goes two ways. So I don't know which is true. Either, it might be both, might be true. The, the Beatles invited her to come to England. Mm-hmm. That could be true. But also, Jimmy Page, this is when, before Led Zeppelin, when he was a session musician in, in, in England, in London. He and a guy named Tony Calder who worked with, uh, worked with um, Andrew, Andrew Luke, Luke Oldham for a long time. They flew to L.A. apparently with the, the, perp, the for the completely to meet with Jackie DeShannon. Right. Because what they wanted her to do was write a song for Marion Faithful, their, um, Andrew, uh, Tony Calder's client. Okay. And so the story is, though, that she and Jimmy Page fell in hugely in love right. at this point. Had a torrid affair. And there's this... Tony, Tony Calder has said that he had to pound on their hotel room door and said, when you finished effing, yeah. would you mind writing a song for Marianne? <laughs> and so Jackie DeShannon wrote a song for Marianne, which was called Come Stay, Come and Stay With Me, Okay, which was like one of her biggest hits. Right. And so Jackie DeShannon came to London with, with uh, Jimmy Page to carry on with their, with their fun. And while they were there, she 
did a, a demo, like I said, a demos to send to various singers and stuff like that because everyone wanted her singer songs. Cause right. Marianne Faithful had a big hit with her song. She recorded recorded a song when she was there uh, called "Don't Turn Your Back on Me," mm-hmm. and so that was a that was a bit of a hit in England as well. Right. And so so she recorded this a set of a set of uh, demos, and now Dream Boy was one of the demos. And so that's Jimmy Page on guitar. Yeah. Playing with her, he didn't write the song, but he 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 helped to record it. But Jimmy Page Page did write a few songs with her. One of which was called "Leaves Come Tumbling Down," which was covered by a lady named Judy Lee. And another song they wrote together was covered by another woman. But this one is my favorite song that they did together. And I'm going to play it now because I love playing you guys' songs. Yes, we know we played a lot of extras this this episode. <laughs> I just like playing songs. So let's listen to let's listen to uh, this is Judy Lee. And the leaves come tumbling down. Okay. Here we go. Apology. I got a little. What? I got a little mixed up. I think I got mixed up with uh, Sharon Lee Myers and with with Judy Smith is the oh. actual name of this, the singer of this song, Judy Smith. And the only problem with this song, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is the singing of Judy Smith, which is pretty darn weak. And this is a this is a function of the time period where they weren't they weren't they were looking for beautiful girls, right, to sing songs for other people. Yes. And sometimes singing skills didn't enter into the picture. Yeah. More about how they looked was more important sometimes. And I thought, but I think the song is great. And in fact, what's interesting was while while we're listening to it, I was thinking, man, we've been listening to the Heavy Blinkers a little bit lately because we had one in, in the last mixtape, and then I included a song on the Christmas in the Christmas mix. And the instrumentation of the song really reminded me of of what uh, what uh, the Heavy Blinkers love to do with their instrumentation is that kind of dun dun dun, right? Yeah, kind of sound like really really. A, I wonder if they knew the song or if it was just a a fluke of uh, tastes. It's interesting though. What do you think of that song? Yeah, it was fine. Hmm. I thought it was. I thought it was okay. Mare. Well, mare. Yes. I just can't agree with you. But anyway, <laughs> that's fine. I'll let you be who you are. Thank Wrong. you. Wrong. What? So let's get to our last song, 
And this is this is um, something that I don't normally like, which is Americana. Oh. This is the this is the Willard Grant conspiracy from their 2006 album Let It Roll, and the song is called Flying Low. And what's funny about the song, Mary, is if you look on the album, it is situated at the exact same place this song is situated on this mixtape, at the halfway point, i.e., at the end of the first right. side. Yeah. So let's give a listen, everybody, to Willard Grant, the Willard Grant conspiracy, and the song Flying Low. Might be a zipper reference. Not sure. <laughs> Carlos has a contract where watches her back There's pleasure to be had in running up against the wheel Not for nothing, the scars never heal Johnny found God behind a Taco Bell Voice rang through the chemical smell Day after day he went back for the call Whispered to a murmur and nothing at all So it's in the voices running down the wire Faith and patience that live and require More power in the arrow that's left in the quiver Always found for nothing, nothing will last forever Head. Harry has an answer for the hamsters in the wheel. 
little time for anything and nothing seems real And I dreamed I saw the angels flying low They encompass all that's good or so I'm told And I dreamed I saw the angels flying low They encompass all that's good or so I'm told All right, and we're back. And Mary, what did you think of that song? I liked it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I thought it was fun. Oh, okay, I um, kind of thought you wouldn't like that one. No, yeah, I, I liked... love the Jackie DeShannon song, but not like the... Well... It's funny. Yeah. What um, do I know? What do you know? Uh, I like the singing. Yeah. Um, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I thought it was pretty poppy. Sure. I thought it was pretty, like... Like, sim- simple, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But it was very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, I liked it because it had a nice build. It had a nice yes, build to the end. Yes, you do like that. I do like when songs build to a climax. So, yeah, the Willow Grant Conspiracy formed in Boston in 1985, 1995 sorry, by Robert Fisher and Paul Austin. But it's not really a band. It's more like a collective. And what Fisher would, did over the years was draw some 30 or more different musicians from into the band over the years. So mm. he would just use different people to, to fill in different parts of the project as he went. And then... He would tour, but sometimes he couldn't tour with the same people because those guys might be from actual bands, and so they couldn't right. accompany, the, accompany him. But So, for instance, Flying Low is a collaboration between Fisher and Steve Wynn of the Dream Syndicate. Dream Syndicate, I mentioned them earlier. I remember the L.A.'s Paisley Underground mm-hmm. scene in the 80s. And what's really curious about this album to me is it was recorded in Slovenia, of all places. I have no idea oh. why, they, why they went there. I don't know if it was a cost thing, but I can't imagine like moving everyone over to another country in the, in, in the uh, Eastern Europe. Yeah, it doesn't know. seem cheaper. Doesn't seem cheaper, does it? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Well, that's that's that side, Mare. What do you think? I liked it. Yeah, you seem. Yeah, to I have... liked most of the songs. Yeah, you seem to enjoyed it. Almost all of them, in fact. Yeah. Just that one song. I just failed in one point. Crashed and burned, everybody. Well, no, that's not not the takeaway here, Dad. <laughs> that, you know, that's what I take it. That's what I take it. Okay. Um. But yeah. No, it was good. What did you think of it? Oh, I really liked it. Good. Figured you did. Yeah, since I you made it. I don't think there's any songs in there that I was kind of like, why? Maybe maybe Air Hockey Fire. 
But actually, I came around to it again. I was like, oh, no, this song's great. Yeah. This song's great. Because often I kind of second-guess myself, not in the sense of, like, I think when I was making them, I would just not think about the person who was getting them at all. Yes. Because if I did, I got really, like, nervous. No, I think that's the way to do it. I'd just be like, well, I'll just put a bunch of songs together that I like, and if they don't like yeah. it, what, what can I do? It's not my yeah. fault. I mean, it's like recommending a movie to someone, right? Yeah. And sometimes they'll like it, and sometimes they won't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Song's right? just a lower commitment. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, if I recommend a movie to people, hey, I don't think about, I don't go, gee, does so-and-so like comedies or... Yeah, well and like if they it. don't like it, you don't think, oh man, like they must really hate my my style. <laughs> I do think that actually. Okay, well, never mind that. Forgot <laughs> about anxiety. But anyway, Dad. Yeah. Um. What do you have to say for yourself? I, well, I was gonna tell uh, the listeners yeah. how people can contact us if they want to. Okay, well, sure, we'll do that. You just said okay, Dad, and then you paused for a very long time, which well, we won't hear because of. Truncate silence. We'll just take that pause out entirely. Well, but I still felt inclined to in, in, because in, I said, interject. "Well, Dad." Yep. But then I didn't know what to say next <laughs> because I was like, "Should I tell him? How should I ask him how people can contact us?" But that's not how we do it. No, you should have said, "Well, Dad, I guess it's time that I told listeners the ways they can contact us. Mm, they well, can contact us by." I thought we did it pretty good. Where I said, well, dad, and you said, what? And then I said, well, I thought maybe I could do this. And then you said, yeah. No, but now that I say it out loud, it doesn't seem like the smoothest. <laughs> maybe not the best transition. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So if you yeah, want. I was getting mocked for my transition you... <laughs> earlier. Well, that was a bad transition. Anyway, um, people can contact us by going to our website, which is sneakydragon.com. Oh, Mary, I just thought of a way to help you. What? Okay, just start again. Just start again. Okay. Um, people can contact us by going <laughs> to our website, which is sneakydragon.com. <laughs> it's a harsh critique of your own website, Dad. Uh, and there you can find all of our contact us information, <laughs> including our email address, which is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. <laughs> our Twitter, which is sneaky underscore dragon. <laughs> our... Uh, Facebook page, which is Sneaky Dragon, and also our mailing address, if you would like to mail us something. <laughs> and I'm gone. Bye! <laughs> Didn't that help? No. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> I really thought it would help you out. Alright, and we'll be back with the second half of this mixtape in two weeks. In a fortnight. <laughs> in a bye week. Okay, bye. We'll see everyone. Hey, Dad, wait, say that again. Wait, bye everyone? No, 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 say the other part. When I said, we'll see you in a fortnight. I said, we'll see you in a bye week. <laughs> <laughs>